is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. We are here live on the deck here at Sun and Fun Radio, 15, 10 a.m. You can listen to us also, liveatc.net slash SNF. I'm joined tonight not by our regular co-hosts online, but by some extra co-hosts we have here this evening. Right now to my left, I have Larry Overstreet. Larry, welcome. Hello. And Russ Roslowski, welcome. Thanks, Carl. And we also have uh, Robert Sigliano. And, uh, Hello there. Tom Frick. Hey, hey. And we have an aerospace director extraordinaire, Eric Crump. I thought you were going to say Derek Lagasse. No, that's me. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Derek Lagasse. <laughs> and also, Derek Lagasse, that's the name that you just heard and the voice right next to me. Welcome. I'm hey, glad thanks. you can make the podcast this evening. And thanks for having me, Carl. And, and we are excited to have you on board. You know, uh, one of the feed- things we've heard from the feedback from people is that we've been going more towards learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly, just like we said in our intro and we're going to learn something tonight. We're going to learn something from a listener mail. But before we get started, we do have a couple shout-outs. We are live here at Sun and Fun Radio. I know right now that if you're listening to this and it's on a recording, you're going to think, gosh, this doesn't apply to me. But it does. It does. And one of the shout-outs we have is if you're going to make it here to Sun and Fun, make sure you do something. Go try out the new 927 Club. 927 Club is the ultimate VIP experience during Sun and Fun. They have Air-conditioned, air-conditioned private VIP experience, and it's got bre- breakfast, lunch, snacks, afternoon beer and wine, which Flush I like. Flush toilets. Flush toilets, exactly. You that had was me at air part. conditioning. That's yeah, a, exactly. That's why we work here at Sun and Fun Radio, isn't it? The flush toilets. The uh, the other thing is you're right by the flight line, and you get some really important people that come walk in and talk to you. Beautiful. Well, guys, I really, uh, this is so exciting to have you all here. As a matter of fact, something I think some of our listeners don't know about uh, Russ especially, and, and all of us here, this is actually our first time for some of us meeting. You, Russ, and I have never actually met in person until... Not until about 24 hours ago, About Carl. 24 hours yeah. ago. And, and the first thing I said to him, I said, you know, you're, you're a lot taller than your picture. Which, of course, the picture is just my head, so I'm not really sure what that <laughs> says, but my head makes me look short, I guess. I don't know. Well, Russ, welcome. It's, thanks, it's thanks. wonderful to have you here. And uh, Russ knows quite a few things about procedures when it comes to IFR. I know things. Yeah, yes. and he knows quite a few things. And, I, and he's been blogging at this really incredible blog that I'd like to shout out, and that is? It's uh, cfirus.blogspot.com. And I will say uh, it's been a little bit intermittent lately, but uh, I take uh, any, any user submissions for uh, topics and, and that kind of thing. So please send them on the way. Great, thanks. thanks. Another person that's joining us, and we're going to see if she's on yet, is uh, Victoria Newville. Is Victoria, you there? Let's see if she she's not queued up yet, but we'll go on to... Uh, continue with our topic this evening then we'll get uh, victoria queued up we really appreciate her coming and uh we also after the the next shout out we have actually is going to come from oh it's eric crump eric you have the a shout out this evening yeah so i realized um a couple of days ago I, I i love that this uh random event became a tradition where i get to kick off sun and fun radio every year that's really cool i don't know how that actually i don't know how it became a tradition other than that i just kept showing up every first day they're likable and lovable well there there's that too and i'm really pretty um, but uh, anyway, so I, I actually missed people in my first shout out, and it made me feel really bad. So I, I have to, I have to correct my my faulty shout out. Um, so first of all, 
to uh, Lady Crump and the Crumpets, hello again to uh, my father who's listening again, I believe, tonight, and also my grandparents who are listening tonight. But the one key person I forgot was hello? my mom. Um, so, hey, mom, how are you doing? And I'm um, glad you're listening, and that's my shout-outs. Well, great. Thanks a lot. And uh, I think Victoria is, is uh, joining us now. Victoria, can you hear us now? Let's see if she can hear us on the other side of things. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we also will be getting her online and figure this out real quick. This is live radio. Of course, this happens sometimes. Uh, you know, Polk State College, one of the things that I, and I want to get this in as soon as we can, one of the things that uh, has been incredible in my life lately and uh, has been a very humbling experience is the folks over at Polk State College and, and the young students decided to, to ask, ask me, actually, to be their coach or their flight team. And uh, this well, you're year, likable and lovable, likable too, and so. lovable. And and I'll be honest with you, I don't think I really did did much for them. I think I've inspired them possibly, but but most of what they do, the folks on the flight team, is on their own. They did some in, some incredible flying, and uh, they practiced. Uh, they worked against all odds, and and made it to. It is a real underdog story. The, I think, it really. is an incredible is. Understo- underdog <laughs> when story. When they Let approached me, tell you. me with the idea that they wanted to have this flight club or this flight team, rather. I, I said, you know, that's a great idea. And what you wanted, what you're saying you want to do, is to really not only be leaders just in your program, but also that you want to um, to really make a difference. And so I said, so in in that vein, you're gonna have to do this on your own. Not that I'm not here to help you. Not that staff is not gonna be able to be available to you. But I want you to take this on, and I want you to I want you to create your own organizational structure. I want you to find a coach. I want you to do this on your own. And I've got to say that, that that was absolutely the case. I was very, very impressed with them. I mean, their choice of coach was a little questionable, but, you know, it's okay. You know, one of the things that impresses me about, about the uh, students there, we have one of them here uh, with us now that was on the flight team. Actually, uh, he was the captain of the, of the flight team. It's Trey LaFone. Trey, welcome to the deck here at Sun and Fun Radio. Thank you very much. One of the things that impresses me with the students at, at Polk State College is the fact that you know, a lot of these a lot of these folks are out there working other jobs. I've seen some that have had two jobs, almost three jobs, two full time, one part time. They go to school and they participate in the flight team. And and to let it be known, we had hardly any funding to be able to put the team into practice and into flight for the competition. What's amazing is we had someone step up and give us a donation so that we could actually get an airplane to fly in that. And uh, that was actually M0A. Thanks for the donation, and uh, thanks for all they have done. Jason Shepard of M0A. And, and what was incredible is this. We actually were able to have a couple students place. I can't remember the placements of the students. Actually, Trey can help me out there. Yeah, I can. Trey, what did, what did you place, first of all? So I ended up going out there and placing second in the power off uh, landing category. And uh, third in the power on category. Wow, we had and how much practice did we get prior <laughs> to this? I mean, we got uh, there was a flight there, so there was that one, and um, I think we got about uh, three hours of practice before the competition actually started with the airplane that we had just uh, gotten, and then uh, about a week before the competition, maybe not even a week. Yeah, not even a week. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, so I mean, think, it was very, very quickly. And, and let's remember who we're going up against. It was who? Embry-Riddle, Embry FIT. Riddle, FIT, Auburn. Uh, we had um, Embry-Riddle, FIT, uh, Jacksonville University, Jacksonville State College, um, and Florida Memorial. And these are schools that are well-funded within their flight departments. They have multiple airplanes and, and lots of uh, kids there and lots of students, I should say, that were on the team. How many people did we actually have at the competition? <laughs> 
Well, while uh, everybody else had about at least 12 to 15 people out there supporting uh, their team, we had all of six of us. Six. Yes. And so now we're the underdogs in numbers and also money. Somebody you met here last year at Sun and Fun was willing to promote us. Somebody from Airplane Repo. Do you remember who that was? Yes. We need a a shout-out to them. Yeah, Kevin Lacey. uh, Kevin Kevin Lacey did a great job trying to promote our, our flight team. At the time, we'd had no way of getting the money to our flight team, but we do now. We have a way to do that. Remember, we don't get any funding for the flight team, do we, Eric? Explain why that is. No, so student organi- well, the flight team is a student organization. So in a, the student organizational funds are you know, basically for administrative costs of your club. Um, so you're talking about maybe a little bit of food at a club meeting or a trip that you want to take. So um, we were able to put together most of the funds for the, the trip, the, ex- the housing expense um, of, of getting the team uh, down to uh, the competition. Like you said, uh, M0A brought forth the airplane. Um, our FBO here in, in Lakeland Shelter uh, donated the fuel, which thank you so much for that. That's great. <laughs> so it was, it was a little bit of everybody pulling together. We've got to thank our friends at ASA for giving us all the training materials that we used to prepare before we went to competition um, for the flight planning events. Um, it really was a, a, a network of people who banded together who said, we really believe you guys can accomplish something. Here's, you don't have any way to do it, though. So, so here's, what, here's what we can provide to this, uh, to this um, challenge, and it really paid off in, in dividends. And, and another thing we did, and I challenged people to do, was a little late towards the end, it was to, to take a day of their pay and donate it to the flight team so that we could actually fly in the competition. And uh, I asked all the other airline pilots that I fly with is, you know, hey, if you can give up a day of your pay, could you do that and donate that to the flight team? We're going to ask them to do that again this year. And, uh, and they can do that very simply by writing to us at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. They also can go directly and anonymously give money at a website that we have set up. And yeah, how do and they do that? It's super simple. So um, if you just go to our aerospace program webpage, www.polk.edu slash aerospace, right there at the bottom of that page is a big red button that says donate. Um, and don't worry about that money getting lost somewhere within the college system. That money, when it's uh, donated, it's automatically tagged for our specific account. And it comes to us, and it allows us to be able to continue to do this really amazing thing, not only for our students that actually participate, but for the students who don't get to go and participate in the competition. They get to hear the stories. They get to live vicariously through the success that our students are having, um, and not not in a, in a gimme region either in, in in arguably one of the toughest regions in NIFA to, com- to compete in. One of the toughest regions to compete in, hardly any money, and we did a few things, didn't we? We yep. accomplished a few things. What were the other awards that individuals got first? Let's right. talk about that. Uh, so we had uh, Dylan uh, Krishauer. He uh, placed, uh, I think, ninth or 10th. Right, yeah, and we got uh, a medal for that. And uh, we got a medal for that um, in ground events. Uh, we had um, Aaron Portivin. He placed uh, third in aircraft recognition. Uh, or, I'm sorry, cross-country flight planning. Um, we had a bunch of myriad of, of uh, uh, ninth and tenth awards uh, going out to um, Jimmy Koff? Michael Brandt. And um, also um, the last one, uh, Matthew Pickett and uh, Justin Wayman also won. Amazing. We won over 13 individual awards. You know, it's funny. There's a story about this, and and again, it, the, it's like the the little, you know, uh, train that could trying to get to that competition wasn't even that easy. 
while we were there just to get the airplane out to the runway. Tell oh, us, yeah. Tell us a little story about that as far as trying to get the airplane started. So, <laughs> um, and this is not to uh, say that we didn't appreciate the airplane at all. Oh, of course not. Jason yeah, yeah. Shepard provided us. It was great. You know, we got there and everybody was like, oh, is that the real M0 Air airplane? And we're like, yeah, it is. And then about uh, two, three days into the competition, after multiple starts, uh, the airplane started giving out on us. Uh, didn't didn't really want to participate, and we had about you know twenty uh, professionals who were throughout the collegiate aviation uh, system saying, "Oh, it's you know it's the magnetos, and you got to start it this way, or it's the timing, and it's got to start it this way, or you know it sounds like the mag or the uh, cylinders are getting too hot." Um, so yeah, it's um, we uh, had a lot of problems getting the airplane started towards the end, but we still managed to do it. Uh, we only forfeited like one spot, and that's uh, and that's with a six-member team, guys. Yeah. Six-member I mean, team. So every yeah. member of the team had to compete in multiple events, yeah. multiple times a day. This is not like a well, I went and did my one event and now I'm done. I mean, <laughs> the team is really um, and 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 also most of, just to make a point about the airplane. Most other teams are taking multiple aircraft. To this event as well, yeah, and we the one <laughs> one aircraft. Emory Riddle had four, uh, and I think everybody maintained three except for Miami Dade, who only brought two. We are the only team there with just the one airplane. And just imagine if we had the money to be able to go out there and, and field a couple of airplanes and fly. I tell you what, one of the things that I think is the true Cinderella story here is the fact that you folks put this together, you the students. And we're able to compete and win in these competitions. Right. You also won some team competitions. You're right. One from the National Association of Flight Test Engineers. Yes, definitely. We uh, uh it was a fl- it was experimental. Um, oh, excuse me. Yeah, it was the Experimental uh, Flight Association, and uh, they gave us a challenge award because we they said we we've never seen a team come out here with six people and do as well as you have in the first year of competition. They were like, it's amazing. So, uh, you know, we, we gave you the challenge award. Uh, it's, a, it's a recurring award, so every team um, that competes in the region gets to go up for the challenge award, and we, we pass it around the region every year. We also won the safety award because um, uh, we, we presented our safety um, uh, program here at Polk State to the college, and <laughs> we actually came out and uh, a few folks from, uh, I don't want to say any big schools, but, you know, um, we actually were asked to give uh, pointers to these big private over in Daytona uh, <laughs> organizations uh, that might have needed to improve. Which shall remain nameless. Yes. <laughs> nameless, yes. not anonymous. So, uh, yeah, they, they actually asked us to give them points on how to improve their safety program because ours was just top notch. And again, the students helped with that safety program. Well, I think that's the interesting point there. The part, the point of our safety program that makes it so awesome is not because it's revolutionary or something that no one's ever thought of before. It's that we make our students the owners in it, and so our students are the participants in our aerospace safety team. Our students are the one who's who are making uh, program-related uh, recommendations back to staff on how we can improve what we do. So it's it's not just buy-in so much. When we tell all of our students and all of our staff members every semester that everybody at Polk State is a crew member, we, we really do mean that. Everybody has a role to play, and that certainly uh, extends to safety. And. And, and another point here is that you, you folks are the Cinderella story again this year. Yes, we we're, are. We're very underfunded because, again, we don't get any funding. And, and now we're looking. We're looking to get, get actually somebody to step up and say, hey, I'll help you, or many people exactly, too. Exactly, yeah. And, again, they can do that how? Uh, if you uh, go donate on the Polk State uh, website, you know, under the uh, polk.edu slash aerospace, you can, there's a donate uh, button there. 
Um, also, uh, if you just contact us directly, we have an email, either uh, Carl Valeri, uh, you can contact him, or me. Uh, oh, that's, that's, our, that's our pet. That's our pets here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have pets on the deck. What? Matt Yonkin. I still can you guys. Yeah. The, um, the other thing, too, I, I really think is great is the fact that you, you all stepped up and you did a great job. Definitely. You worked really hard. And you have throughout the year. Right. And uh, I can't say enough about the students at Polk State. They really are hardworking, uh, have integrity, and there are people that are involved in safety, and they're the type of people that I, I'd like to fly with sometime in the future. I'd like to see them well, in the cockpit. Well, I can definitely tell you that. I'm, I'm no, not to give Carl a bigger head than he already has, but uh, Trust I mean, me, Carl, Carl helped out a lot, um, being a coach. Uh, you know, he, like I said, he donated a whole day's worth of pay, and you know that twelve dollars went a long way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. We're proud to have you as a coach, and Thanks. I will be stepping down as our captain this year, and hopefully somebody will be stepping up. But I'll be reprising a role as uh, the assistant uh, coach, uh, trying to help Carl, you know, figure out when practices. And, and, uh, and that was our uh, our other announcement. Is right. uh, now Trey Lafan, who was the captain of the team, now is assistant coach. And uh, somebody who well, has a lot. He's got to work in all that along with his uh, airline responsibilities. And he works now yes. he's become a, a working member of the 121 world. And I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the other announcements we had is you were able to get a job with an airline. I was, yes. And you're flying around the Caribbean. The Caribbean. Yeah. That's all you do. You fly around the Caribbean. You're in See, San Juan. What, well, what I did was I saw your Facebook page, um, <laughs> and I saw, like, wow. That ruins everybody. <laughs> I was like, I wow, being that. an airline pilot is really easy. Um, so Push a few buttons. Yeah, I just I was like, I want to fly in the Caribbean, so I found an airline who did that, uh, namely Cape Air. And um, being a first officer for them, I'm based out of San Juan, and I get to fly to all the saints that you can think of. And uh, occasionally, Carl gets to see a real pilot in action. <laughs> well, thanks, and uh, thanks for the, the nice comments that you made as far as the... I really didn't do as much as I, I wish I could. It's really the, the, the students that did most of the work no, and the definitely. heavy lifting. Um, I may have inspired a little bit the, the <laughs> folks there. That's and I definitely it. have to make a shout-out to uh, uh, M0A.com and yes. Jason Shepard. Uh, really mm-hmm. just went above and beyond to get us an airplane that... I mean, we just couldn't have done without it. By the way, uh, Jason Shepard's come under fire because he's actually a Jacksonville University, a JU uh, alumni. <laughs> so uh, I have to say thank you for them. And he assures me that the airplane will start this time. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming here, by the way, Trey. And uh, now our new assistant coach, Trey LaFon, airline pilot. And uh, all-around good guy and great pilot. Uh, I appreciate that. You had me right up until good guy. You had me right up until good guy. Just remember, you were my teacher. Yeah, Yeah, it's all my fault. (laughs) I did it. It's all me. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yes, thanks for coming up. And and this is a really important part of Sun and Fun is Aerospace Education. The Aerospace Center for Excellence is uh, run by Rob Williams, uh, a really sweet man. He uh, puts a lot of time and effort into helping people move forward in their careers and move forward with whatever they want to do. As a matter of fact, here at Sun and Fun, we must remember it's not just the air show. It's about inspiring people to move forward in aviation. Right. And I have to give a big shout-out to Mr. Lights Leanhouse for doing that. John is just a, a wonderful figurehead, and he's a, he's a great captain of this ship that uh, he steers. or Actually, he, he has steered in the right direction. He doesn't like the fires, but he, he, uh, he does actually move it forward. So... Uh, on to the next, uh, our, we're going to have another next guest coming up here shortly, uh, and they're, they're actually having a, a little uh, 
Um, well, they're having an event here on the deck here at Sun and Fun Radio. Somebody who's uh, been really innovative, a disruptor in the world of general aviation. Uh, and you may have heard of uh, Open Airplane. Rod Rakick, welcome to the deck and welcome to Sun and Fun Radio. He has done something truly amazing with Open Airplane. Welcome to the deck. Thanks, Carl. Glad to be here. Hey, you know, uh, one of the things that I've, I've seen in the past is uh, the growth of Open Airplane, and I've seen people try to do things like this, but you're the only one that's successfully done it, I feel, and I really, my hat's off to you, man. Oh, thank you. Obviously, it's a team effort. Um, you know, we started working on this as an idea back in 2011. Uh, we made it a company in 2012, announced here at Sun and Fun in 2012 what became Open Airplane. And we've launched in June of 2013, and we've been flying ever since. An Open Airplane, let's explain the concept to everybody who hasn't heard of it yet. Please do. Well, the simple way I explain it to folks is we make renting an airplane as easy as renting a car. Now, of course, then people nod and say, really? well, how do you do that? How do you do that? We offer pilots a universal pilot checkout. The universal pilot checkout does three things. One, it resets the clock on the flight review. Two, it earns the pilot up to a 10% discount on their renter's insurance. And three, we give them access to the same make, model aircraft all across the country for 12 months. That's incredible. I mean, that's just like renting a car. So I could go here, somewhere in Florida. Where that? Where would that be? Somewhere in... Sure, yeah. We have two operators in Tampa. You go to openairplane.com. You book a universal pilot checkout and go fly. Complete that process, and then you can you know, make reservation requests across the country. Well, I have relatives in New York. Can I go to, say, Long Island and fly an airplane? Yeah, we have two bases on Long Island, uh, Republic and Mid-Island. Uh, we have... Uh, just launched White Plains at HPN. Wow. So what types of aircraft can we rent with Open Airplane, and what is the checkout for each type of airplane? Sure. Well, it's a make-model-specific checkout. So if you get checked out in a Steam Gauge 172, that gives you access to all the Steam Gauge 172s. You can do an abbreviated checkout and get access to other make-model aircraft, and then every 12 months you do one checkout to reset the clock on everything that you've previously demonstrated proficiency in. And how, how's the reception to this concept? How's it been? Well, a lot of people told us we're nuts. Uh, <laughs> but what we did is we launched the company in June of 2013 with 5,000 pilots who had signed up and given us their email addresses and wanted wow. to at least know more about it. We have now crossed 11,000 pilots signed up to fly with Open Airplane. Pilots who have created profiles at openairplane.com and want to come fly with us. We've now grown to 96 locations across the U.S. We have 338 aircraft available for rent. Wow. That's like a small airline. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, pretty, it's a good start. <laughs> and, you know, we've got 33 different types of aircraft in that mix. So everything from tail draggers to light twins. Wow. Wow. I know that one of the main problem areas that you, you face was certainly ins the insurance angle. Uh, but obviously you've, you've moved on and you've resolved that. Can you talk about how, <laughs> or, or, so, or you're, you're laughing a little bit, so maybe resolved is a bit uh, misleading, but, well, but go ahead. Everyone that we talked to who was a pilot loved the idea of being able to rent everywhere they went and, and not have their pilot certificate turn off when you leave your home base. Mm -hmm. That was something that was infuriating to all of us. 
But they said, you know, the insurance guys will never let you do it. So we went to the insurance carriers and said, look, we have a doctrine. The way, you know, standardization and evaluation works in military flying and professional flying, we can extend that to Part 91 pilots who fly for their own business and pleasure and really lower the accident rate, reduce the risk, but increase utilization. Get more people to buy insurance, for instance. And, of course, it wasn't easy. But then one underwriter said, yeah, we'll try it. And then more and more. And now almost every underwriter in the U.S. market is aligned with open airplanes. So if you have an airplane at a flight school or a flying club, you have commercial insurance already on the airplane, you can rent that airplane to well-qualified pilots and nothing has to change. You know, it's interesting. I've been looking at uh, different areas without, throughout the country, and people have said, oh, I could have done that. Why hasn't anybody done it yet? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we needed to be in a place where people were getting used to the idea of a sharing economy. One thing that's driven us from the very beginning is that overall as a culture, we're shifting. We're shifting away from the idea that ownership is the goal. And instead, people are more interested in access to the good than ownership of the good. So you see companies like Airbnb. You see people, you know, sharing things versus trying to necessarily buy and own them. People want to invest in experiences, not products. And that's really been the difference in our business model that's helped us grow as quickly as we have. That's incredible. I, I really think that uh, I think it is a shift in our society, but it's incredible that you've done it. I mean, how many people just thought of that and said, oh, yeah, I can do that. But you've done it. And that's, <laughs> I commend you for what you've done. Well, it's, also, it's not just me. I mean, you've got, you know, my co-founder, Adam Fast. Fast right. We've got a lot of people. A lot of them are here tonight who believed in what we did from the very beginning. It's folks like you who helped us, you know, get the word out. Uh, that's still our number one biggest challenge is simply awareness. I still walk up to people wearing this T-shirt and they look at me and they say, what's open airplane? And I, I kind of, you know, look at them and say, you know, and, and wonder, you know, have you been on the Internet lately? But right. it's, it's, it's a thing. But then I explain. I said, look, we're here to make your pilot certificate more valuable. We make renting an airplane easier. We give you access to airplanes across the country so that you can enjoy the, the, the lifestyle of aviation. And they light up and they get excited. And they, well, how can I join? You know, go to openairplane.com. And that's, and that's really what's driving us forward, and that's our biggest challenge, and that's our biggest opportunity. Truly a disruptor in the industry and also an innovator, and uh, somebody who's reinvented my pilot certificate, because that's what I'm going to do is get checked out. Excellent. I'm sitting in front of the, uh, the map right now, and I'm looking at all the different airports that you have in Texas, throughout Florida, also obviously California, Oregon, Washington, I Idaho. We have, oh, up in uh, Wisconsin, I see, Iowa, New York area, and it's spreading this map is like an airline map. I mean, there's so many different locations that you have throughout the country. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see more come to my area. I mean, I feel like it was just yesterday that we were on this deck talking about this in the early phase, and there were like two or three dots on that map. <laughs> yeah, and now there's a big splotch. Exactly. You like know, Now you can pretty much plan a vacation around this. Yeah, yeah we're actually redesigning the map because it, it, it actually wasn't a problem when we launched with six locations across the U.S., but now we're actually redesigning the map. A lot of folks want us to be able to filter by type of aircraft. And when you had just a couple of dozen aircraft across the entire country, that wasn't a problem. And now it's something that, you know, people want to say, show me the Cirruses. Show me just the light sports. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, let, let me let the map work harder for me. And that's what we're working on today. 
Alaska, Hawaii, you're there too. Yes. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's just amazing to me, Rod. The, I, I understand the sharing thing. It's just I can't. I can think of so many FBOs that I've walked into. You know, like, well, you know, I'd like to rent this airplane. They're like, well, we're going to do this checkout. This, just the idea of getting um, just your general FBO um, on on page with what you're trying to do with the universal checkout. And I've got to say, from an education perspective and as a CFI perspective too, I think what you guys did with that was absolutely brilliant. I think the um, the quality of that of that universal checkout, even if you're not well, first of all, you should be an open airplane member. But if you're not an open airplane member, just that, or if you have no intention of ever actually doing anything with it, the the process of going through your universal checkout, I think, would make every pilot in the country a better, safer pilot. And from an educational CFI perspective, I'm I'm really impressed. First of all, that you got people on board with that. But then second of all, just the, the ability you guys had to sit down and say, this is, this is a product we could put together because it, it was a really um, – it was a big mountain to climb, I think, and I think you did it well. Well, Rod, thanks for making pilots safer and also putting more value into my pilot certificate and those that are involved in open airplane. Where can they find you? We made it easy. You can go to openairplane.com on any device, a smartphone, a tablet, or a desktop computer. There's nothing to download. And you sign up for free. You can book a checkout and then go fly. And that's it. And we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Pretty social, folks. And, Rod, you also give back. I think tonight uh, one of the things that you're doing this evening, can we mention in the back here? Yeah, absolutely. More the merrier. And, uh, well, we're having a a few... uh, beverages and uh, some food in the back of the deck here at uh, Sun and Fun Radio. And people are invited, especially folks that are involved with Open Airplane or want to know more. Come Avi- on by. Aviation is a social uh, endeavor in addition to being a bloodborne pathogen. And we really want to make sure that we spread the love. So, <laughs> and the disease. So, you know, we, this is an opportunity to say thank you to all the folks that helped us spread the word. Uh, to invite the pilots who have flown with us, the pilots that want to fly with us, the flight school operators that are part of the network, they'll be here, the insurance folks that help enable it, the partners, the fans, the followers. And so, you know, instead of, you know, spending money to do other things, we want to make sure that we invest in the community that we're building. And you've done that. I think that's terrific. And thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to maybe give a, a hint towards that might be coming, upcoming in open airplane? Just a little nugget. Well, we did announce what open airplane was going to become. It was, a, it was, a, it was kind of a secret project for a while. Uh, and we do have other products coming we're really excited about. It. And, but I, I can tell you that they're all going to make aviation for all of us more valuable. Rod Rakick, Open Airplane, thanks for coming. Thanks for what you do for aviation, making my pilot certificate more valuable. And uh, thanks for joining us on the deck. I know you have some beer and some uh, brats to be uh, had in the back there. We are a Chicago-based company, so there will be no ketchup on the hot dogs tonight. No ketchup on the hot dogs. And as upset as I am about that, I'm still going to eat them, (laughs) just so we're clear. There you go. Thanks, Rod. You know, if if you have a chance, go to Open Airplane, openairplane.com. You want to see something new, something innovative in aviation? Check it out, openairplane.com. Thanks again, Rod. Appreciate you being here. Yeah. Um, the other topic that we need to get to and uh, this evening, and we do have actually uh, another guest that will be coming up here fairly shortly, is um, it's actually from a, a listener, and it's a listener mail. 
but before we get to that, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get uh, Ken Cage up here on the deck, uh, and uh, we've actually uh, yeah. Let me let me look at this uh, questionnaire, but we'll go to that in a second. The other thing we have is a quick shout out before we move on. Uh, I already announced the uh, 927 Club. Also, another thing I want you to think about. If you want to get involved in aviation and you want to make flying less expensive, make your pilot certificate more valuable, one of the things that you need to do is think about starting a flight club. And we have a friend, Jamie Beckett, that is actually with AOPA now, and he is advocating for having a flying club, building an airplane, reimagining an airplane, and going forward. One of the ways to find out more about it and uh, maybe possibly win a 150 is to go to aopa.org slash flying club giveaway and uh, you can learn how you can win this competition and the competition actually is uh, or the drawing I should say deadline is September 1st 2016 and you can actually get not a t-shirt you know not a koozie but a Cessna 150 that you can use for your flying club. A real airplane? A real airplane. That you can, but there are some stipulations, Larry. You can't just go ahead and put your name in the hat. You have to do something. You, you have, have to, to start a flying club. You have club. to start a flying club. And you know what? AOPA actually has ways that they can facilitate opening They can help you do that. They can. They can help you do that by going to aopa.org. Is it you amazing. can fly? It's, or it's just amazing. call Jamie. Or call Jamie Beckett. And you, saw, you listened to him here on the deck. And I, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those past interviews with Jamie Beckett. A, a, and Jamie, and also I should say all the folks at AOPA, not just Jamie, because Jamie's our friend. But, uh, and all of AOPA obviously is our friend. But they are actually terrific. They, they are our advocates in D.C. They are advocates throughout the United States. And they are the ones that are pushing us forward. In aviation, they're the ones that are telling people you can fly again, and they're doing that through many of their programs. You know, another I, I think inspirational person in aviation, and somebody that uh, you know I, I met last year here at Sun and Fun. Uh, you know, Ken Cage. He's he's somebody that's uh, I, I think when I when I first saw you, I remember there was somebody else with you on the deck, and uh, I said, you know, I have a you know somebody who's a, a banker and, and a biker, and uh, I wasn't really sure who you were when you were coming up here. Didn't recognize you at first, but uh, Ken Cage open. Uh, excuse me, Ken Cage <laughs> is uh, airplane repo. Welcome to the deck. Thank you. I think I was the biker. Yeah, right? No, no. no actually, <laughs> you look more like the banker. I, I wasn't think. the big guy with all the muscles. <laughs> no. You know, welcome. And I think Thank it's you. incredible what you've been doing for aviation. You're promoting aviation because of what you do. I know it's exciting to watch you repossess aircraft and all, but it actually gets people interested in flying. I think so. And and one of the reasons I think is because of the people. You have repoing aircraft, people that haven't done it in the past. Right. And and tell us a little bit about that. About the, the people that have actually gotten involved in repoing aircraft that have never done that before. There was somebody, a lady on there, I think, that you had that said they wanted to get involved in, in repoing airplanes. Well, Heather Sturzik was on the show. Yes. Um, and she was with Kevin. So okay. Kevin, I think, took a uh, like an airplane, a, a Cirrus, I think, mm-hmm. 22 from an air show right and she's like yeah i'll help you that's cool but guess what now you owe me a favor i want to get into the business and she kind of you know i mean kevin took her right on because you could tell she had some oxy to her (laughs) uh she had a lot more i think than anybody realized at the beginning yeah um so yeah she she's been flying she's an army i think an army vet so um great girl amazing person and uh tough as nails yes yeah, she is tough as nails. Yeah, and I can tell cool. that. In the, and speaking of Army vets, real quickly, by the way, the, the Sun and Fun, we are honoring all of our vets 
uh, and those folks that served. And uh, today's Air Force Day, but we oh, excuse me, it's the Marines is today. But we we would first like to say thank you to all our vets that are sitting here uh, on the deck right now. Russ, thank you for your service. Thank you. And uh, anybody else who's come up here, thank you for what you've done here. And uh, it, it really it speaks volumes as to the sacrifice that some of the people have made. I, m- I remember we were doing an interview today, and you were on the deck, and uh, some young ladies come up, oh. the women Air Force Service pilots. It's an amazing story. They're amazing. What they went through and, and the challenges they had and the recognition that they didn't get until recently. Isn't that, isn't that crazy that somebody just went and took that from them yes and they had to go fight to say but we already did it yeah <laughs> it's insane I, to I, me i think and, and and even more so it's almost like they didn't even take it from they never gave them anything exactly they had to get themselves there they had to get themselves to training they had to get the hours on their own mm-hmm. matter of fact even when some of them uh, passed away they had to get their bodies home they had to pay for that and they had they had to go with the other ladies and escort the bodies home to bury them That's and, and and we we i'll never Never complain about anything right. again after after hearing their stories, but but they are great advocates for aviation, and uh, and in any way we can get that out there is is important. Great, I think that's true in, in what you do in a certain way. Okay, it gets people interested in aviation because it's exciting. It really is kind of like exciting, like the air show. Yeah. We got. I tell you, this <laughs> is the hardest thing to do. Normally, you have my back to the airplanes. Now you're letting me see them, and it's like, and wait, did you ask me a question? Because <laughs> a I'm bit distracting, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I could see this forever and still be like, oh, my gosh, look at them again. I mean, it's really neat. So how did you get involved in doing airplanes? I know you had a past in doing some other repos, but why, why airplanes? Well, I, before I bought this company with my business partner, um, I was at Chrysler Financial, and I was doing collections on high, high, high whatever. They were well past due. High-risk loans, we call them. Um, so I was calling the debtors and saying, hey, you owe us money. So I knew that side of the business, but I was just tired of working for other people. So Bob Weeks and I, you know, we've been friends since we were like 10. We're like, let's buy a company. And we looked at like an indoor golf training center just to let you know where we started <laughs> this, this process. And it came to the repos, and I didn't know much. I didn't know anything really about aviation. But that's kind of grown, and I heard, you know, um, open airplane saying about the love comes at different times for different people, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, here I am, a 40-year-old, don't know anything about airplanes, really. And I buy a company to repossess them and sell them. So, you know, it's, it started as a business deal. But then as you get into it, you're like, that's really cool. And you, you, mm-hmm. that's when you start to say Yahtzee, as I'm known to say. Like, that's it. It's really neat. So that's, that's kind of how it happened for me. So you, but you had some experience repoing boats or anything in cars. No, just calling, just, just doing the collection side. That's it. I hired repo agents to go repo cars. So, so that's that's the experience right yeah, there. Yeah, that's, I was that's that how you, you were able to get good talent. Is the key. Yes. You found good talent to repo. Yep. So how did it feel going on your very first repo? Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was. It was scary. It was filled with errors. It was a big fifty-eight foot Hatteras boat. Okay. Um, and I went with Bob. Uh, the boat didn't start. We had a drunk towboat captain that the former owner hired that was crashing us into the pilings. It, there was no electricity. Bob hit me in the head with a door. I'm gushing blood. But you know what? <laughs> oh, my. 24 hours later, we had this $400,000 boat. And it's like, you know what? The cut will heal. Everything else is fine. We got a great story, and we got something going here. So, and how, really, how much worse can it get from there? I mean, you'd have to actually sever a limb or something to get 
to get a worse experience. So you really start, you set the bar in the correct place. Well, you know what? I'm glad Bob didn't hear you say that because he would have said, <laughs> oh, goals, sever blend. Yeah, That's sever, our next thing. So. so you're just like the NTSB. You get a phone call and you've got to go. I know we were having lunch there before and you said, oh, I got a call. I have to head out somewhere. Yep. Your calls are for here locally is, or is it somewhere across the state that you have to go? It's actually across the country. So you don't know where you have to go and when you have to go. No. I try and tie close ones together if I can to save on costs because the bank's first Mm -hmm. thought is how much can they save. But, you know, I've got one in uh, Washington State and down in uh, Northern California. So it's like I'll tie those together, be gone three days, and be home. You know, you're doing the the repos. Now, how did you get involved with putting those repos on television and sharing them with us? So what happened was in 07, the economy just blew up and it went really bad. 08 was worse. And then I'm the guy that's doing the high-end stuff. So I'm the one that shows how the rich people were getting hurt by this recession, which was a unique thing. So everybody got interested. Robert Frank from the Wall Street Journal did a front-page article on me, put my dotted picture on the front page and everything else. So um, once that happened, literally on Monday after that went, went live, I had calls from probably 30 or 40 television producers. I've heard from over 200 since that happened. Wow. But at the end of the day, the network said, we want to do the show, and they called me. And it's an incredibly exciting show. I think I, I remember telling you the first time I saw the show, I didn't even have my volume on on my TV. And I, I don't need to. I mean, it's so cool. First of all, it's cool to watch the airplanes, I and mean, that's really cool. But you can tell the storyline and the faces of the people and the actions and uh, you know, of, of you know, some large guys getting roughed up. It, it's, it's quite exciting for me to see the planes take off, but it's also interesting to figure out how in the world do you get into these planes? How do you find somebody who has the experience to fly a specific airplane? This is not... You know, we're not talking just Cessna 172s. We're talking other airplanes. Yeah. It, it, it's something that we've built up over time. Obviously, when you've done 2,200 over 10 years and you have all the government contracts, mm-hmm. that's when you have all these contacts. And now, obviously, with the show, I've gotten three uh, applications today. Wow. So, <laughs> you know, even if they're not rated in a specific aircraft, I'll call those folks and say, hey, do you have somebody that's, that is rated in this? And they'll know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody. It's usually two phone calls and I'm to the right guy. It's really that easy because everybody knows the aviation community is so tight. You make one or two phone calls and you get to the right person. Have you inspired anybody to try to fly now? I, I, I hear I have. I mean, people have said so. I saw a young man today. And, wow. wow. That's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> At the podcast I did, we do a podcast, Real Repo Radio. And what that does is tell the backstories because you're only seeing 10, 12 minutes of my stories. And everybody's like, well, how did you get there? How did that happen? What was this guy for? We're telling the backstories. So we did one today at the 727. Um, had 40 people in there. Nice long line. It was great. But there was a 10-year-old boy there who came for his birthday to come see me and see the podcast. He's got, he had me autograph his logbook because he's committed to being a pilot as a result of seeing the show. Awesome. So I'm like, okay, we're doing something okay here. And, and that's paying it forward right there. I think you're inspiring people, like I said, to get into aviation, and that's one way you're doing it. You're doing it through your podcast, too, to make people realize there's more of a backstory. There's more to this than, than all the drama that goes on. Because there's a million questions I'm sure you get about each of these repos and how you did legal questions yep. and, and logistical questions. Oh, is it real? Did that really happen? Or is it Memrex? Did you put this together later? All those questions come out in your new podcast. And again, that podcast podcast is real repo radio real repo radio they can go on google and find it yep you're also on stitcher miro iTunes, all over the place itunes Mixler. everywhere and and how are things going 
People, good. Good. I mean, the, we did the live one today. We got a, a, just a fantastic reaction awesome. from people that, that were listening. I've got uh, with me co-hosting is Marilyn Russell, who's been a Philly morning radio host for 25 years. So she really knows the radio so business. I'm like, this is, this is cool. This is cool. So we're getting to tell some stories, getting to answer some questions from people. Um, and it's been fun. Can, can I ask a question about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that's always interested me, of course, me being the airplane geek kind of guy, is uh, if I'm going to go repo an airplane, uh, how do I make sure that the airplane is actually airworthy? Uh, I tell my pilot to verify. <laughs> Honestly, it's up to them. I leave it up to them. Okay. If they're not sure, if they're not 100% sure, we'll just tell it. Uh, hand tug, whatever we need, depending on the size of the aircraft, we'll get it to a safe place. If we're at the at the debtor's FBO, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that they'll hide the plane. They'll work with the debtor to keep it from us. If we take it away from that FBO, right? and it's natural. They're looking out for their customer. If we just take it away, then we have all the time we need. So we actually do a lot of ferry permits. Interesting. Yeah, just wow. to make sure they are safe. We're not just going to jump in them and take off. I know that's what it shows. And well, of course, that's, yeah. They cut out all those fun parts where you're actually walking around for 30 minutes and looking at because that's exciting to watch a Just guy flipping through 200 through. pages of documentation. Yeah. That's is really fun. Exciting. That's exciting. That's what people want to really want to see that for 30 minutes. How many pages were in the book? Well, yeah, so that's the stuff they cut anyway. So, How about other countries? Have you done repos in other countries, Mexico, et cetera? Yep, Mexico. We've done a few in Venezuela. Obviously, Canada, the U.K., Europe, we've been there quite a few times. There's a, a myriad of other legal issues there, too. Yep. Yeah, depending on how friendly they are to the U.S. Um, some are very friendly, and I've told some people here this morning, like, if I go to, I don't know, Bermuda, Bahamas, whatever, I'll just put $150 worth of gas in their chase boats, and they'll stay with me all day to make sure everything's quiet. That's a friendly place. Other places, you got to get in, get the thing, and get out, and don't let anybody know you're there. So, you got to plan differently for Venezuela than you do for the UK, for example. Right. So, what's the largest aircraft you've ever repossessed? I get asked that a lot, and I mean, I've done a seven thirty-seven. Oh wow! But I've done three seven twos from one debtor at a time. Wow! So that's the biggest case we've ever had. That was cool. The opposite question then would be, what's the smallest aircraft you've repossessed? Any uh, one-seater or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, usually there's a limit to the value. If it's not sure. worth 5000 or more, we don't get it. Um, probably it was a, not, it was a valuable airplane. It was sixty, seventy thousand, 70000 but a, a Remos we picked up and had to bring it across the country. Okay. Um, that was tiny. Um, one of my pilots was a six foot three, two forty, two hundred forty pound guy. He made me mad, so I made him take a co-pilot to bring a one fifty back <laughs> from Tennessee to South Florida, <laughs> and and they remembered it, so that was good. Um, yeah, a lot of small like one fifties, things like that, but no ultralights or anything like that. It has to be valuable enough to do it. I mean, yeah, it's not it, worth your time and effort if not. Yeah, to the bank if they're paying me more than what they can get on it. They won't. It's not do worth it. it. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't make sense at so all. So we'll leave it there. Wow, that's pretty exciting. You've gotten, you've actually been able to really interact with some really interesting people too. It's been, it, it's not just people that are hard up on their luck, is it? There's people that have money that wind up just not paying for things. Yeah. Some of the houses and places that you go must be pretty amazing. Oh, yes. <laughs> Give us an example of some place that you have repossessed an airplane from that uh, might look a little different than we think. It's not the 
dusty alley, the the closed down airport with no lights on. No, there was. I mean, there was a out in Palm Springs, California. Um, you know, it was at the airport there, which is a an amazing airport to begin with. But the house was a nine million dollar house, and wow. it was all up to date and everything. So it's like, why aren't you paying you for paying this? It? You know, Cirrus SR twenty two, great airplane. But if you got a $10 million house, you can afford a $400,000 airplane. Yeah. Pay for mm-hmm. it. And it's just stuff like that. So, I mean, that house was, was just amazing. Um, even the flying communities. Like, those houses are expensive. The planes usually aren't jets. They're usually singles. So it's like it's not making a lot of sense there sometimes. Sometimes they just don't want to pay. Right, right. Now, you mentioned fly-in communities. Is that like a uh, harder or easier repossession? Because it sounds like a like really close-knit kind of thing. Yeah, know? it is. I mean, honestly, with the experience that we have and the way I look, I mean, you, you said I look like a banker. I can kind of fit in. I look like a pilot. I look like I fit in. So if I go to a fly-in community and I go to the restaurant, nobody's going to say, what's that guy doing here? Now, if Danny does, yeah, Danny? red flags, right? <laughs> right? Danny from, from the show. Um, so it's just knowing how to talk to people, um, knowing what the right behavior is and what it isn't. Yeah, Danny. Danny stands out. You don't. You a little. Uh, yeah, yeah, just a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting though that to see you know you're somebody with gray hair. You just you you have that persona of you could be just a pilot going out to an airplane to go fly. The typical person that's going to be going in that demographic that's going to be going into that airport to fly. So I could imagine you've sometimes just walked out to an airplane. I have. And actually, it's funny because I used to love doing that when I was in college. I would, I'm a huge Tar Heel fan. I know I mentioned Villanova winning the championship this year. But I went down to North Carolina's basketball court. I just walked right on the court and started playing basketball, and nobody stopped me. It's <laughs> stuff like that, and I always found that to be a challenge. Where can I go? Where can I, you know, who can I get past? Where, how deep can I go into something and not get in trouble? That was just a hobby of mine for a long time. Now it's like, those are life skills for me now. I mean, how do I get out to that airplane? Right, I got to right. walk across the field. So it, it's a lot of fun. You just got to walk in there with confidence. I, I, I know the feeling. I've I've tried that in the past. The only place it really doesn't work is on military bases. Don't try the military. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's certain places where you do have to say, "Yep, I'm talking to you." Yes, this yeah. is what I'm here for, and let them know. I tried it once. It didn't didn't, <laughs> didn't turn out very well. We won't go into that story. So, Ken, like yes. we, we noticed we talked a lot about, you know, the different folks getting into the business and the different folks on the cast of Airplane Repo. And it's a huge spectrum of different people that have been involved in this and have been bitten by the bug at some point. What common traits, what common skills do you think makes a good aircraft repossession man? Honestly, the one thing you're asking me now, but the one thing I kind of think right off the top is um, we're all kind of calm in stressful situations. You know, I mean, none of us get razzled when something goes astray no, none of us get like oh flustered or or whatever i think that's a big thing is be able to think quickly on your feet to react quickly um without a lot of emotion shown so for example this year we had a big boat the owner of the boat had three young girls in the boat and then his wife comes on the boat oh boy and he's telling me i stole his rolex watch which is complete garbage so no it's not true but so the wife's coming. He's giving me grief. I said, listen. And I picked up a pair of panties off the table. I said, listen, this can go one of two ways. You either give me the boat or your wife happens to see these. So it was that quick thinking that I did. You, know, you see those. It's like, oh, that's leverage. Boom, I'm using that. And right then he's like, you'll do it? Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Fine. And I put the panties in my pocket, which, of course, that's the one thing every single viewer saw was me with the panties hanging out of my pocket. Like, oh, guys, cut me some slack. 
but he walked away, and we got the boat. Wow. You know, it's interesting that uh, you were able to pick up on that right away, thinking on your feet. That's amazing. And I think that's if what you watch doing. the three of us, that's something each one of us is able to do is kind of. Exactly. Somebody's coming at you hard. Our adrenaline goes up as much as anybody else's, but it doesn't show here. And you're able to still kind of assess everything and figure out where the opening is. Yes. And kind of like here on the deck here at radio, at, on radio and live radio, you have to assess the situation <laughs> and move forward. As a matter of fact, you were talking about an airplane before. Uh, 727 that you had a, a podcast out of. Yep. Joining us on the deck, actually, is somebody we talked about inspiring youth in aviation. There's somebody here that I think has done an incredible job in inspiring youth and anybody, really, in aviation. A friend, somebody I really admire, somebody who's an, been a past airline pilot, has done some heavy lifting. He doesn't get much recognition here at Sun and Fun, but it's the executive director here at the Aerospace Center for Excellence, Rob Williams. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Yeah, Rob, you know, I, I've, I met you years ago, and, and when you started doing this, and, and I said, Rob, why? Why, do you, why are you doing this? You had this lucrative job with the airlines. Why, why are we here? Why are we flying in, in airplanes that are and doing these things for the kids? You know, it's one of those things where I just feel it's a good time in my life to be able to give back to the aerospace community. I've got some knowledge uh, mixed together with gentlemen like Eric Crump here, Ken Cage, yourself. And uh, we, we can inspire young men and women like Luke Liptak here sitting next to me. So Luke's one of our 15-year-old students at our high school at Central Florida Aerospace Academy. Hopefully one day he'll matriculate into Eric Crump's program over here at Polk State College. The official, excuse me, pardon me, the only public institution in the state of Florida that can offer a bachelor's degree in aerospace. So go to polkaerospace.edu, I believe. Is that right, Crow? Something like that. See, that's, this is the benefit of working with Rob because I don't even have to pay Rob for these plugs. Actually, technically I do because he's an adjunct professor. So he doesn't teach in the spring semester because he has this quote-unquote event thing to do in you know March and April. So he can't teach for me in the spring, but he always teaches for us in the fall semester. The students actually like him, which is stunning, um, pay them off. And he's a, and he's a pretty face. So there you go. <laughs> but Luke, for instance, here at 630, we're going to greet our honor flight. Luke's also an Eagle Scout. So uh, wow. we're really fortunate to have a lot of good good uh, volunteers here. Many of them are veterans at Sun and Fun who help, first of all, put this event on and year-round help out. So Luke, for instance, at our high school can walk across the street, talk to two NASA scientists that have their rocket in our museum. I mean, where else can you do that? Tell me about your rocket. Two rocket engineers right there for you. Oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah. Luke, what, what do you think of the program? I'm sure you're pretty excited about being there, and, and what have you learned? How has it changed you? Well, it's a great program because it's very unique to any other in the world and the nation, and it's a very unique opportunity that I plan to take hold of. Wow. You know, I think we should get Luke on the radio. He's, he's very confident, and, and thanks, Luke, for, for saying that. Rob, you know, you said something uh, about Eric here, and I want to point something else out. Besides being the only program, the only public school, state school in Florida that has a bachelor's in aerospace, it's also the first. And who was the person that developed that program? Mr. Eric, Mr. Eric Crump. Crump. I, well, I got to go back to Rod. Now, that's not a, that is not a one-man operation. I can tell you that right now. Building a bachelor's degree when there are no frameworks or standards or objecting outcomes or anything, and just sit down with that—that that is a consorted group effort um, uh, among our, our sister schools in the state who worked together on that degree. We were the first ones to offer it, but I feel very confident that our other sister schools will be offering that opportunity too, because as everybody knows, opportunities in aviation are only getting. Uh, more uh, more uh, ubiquitous, yes. not less. And it helps Ken out as well. 
Exactly. I love it. I love it. Keep going. The, the more people we generate, the more applications you get. There you go. Yeah. You know, Eric, what is the importance of having a state school and an aerospace program if, with a bachelor's compared to the private schools? What's well, the I mean, big? the main thing everybody goes to is cost. Um, flight training costs what flight training costs. It's an airplane. It's a flight instructor. That's going to vary a couple of, maybe a couple of thousand dollars. But flight training is flight training. Um, we like to think that we do it. It's certainly not a, a matter of being cheap. It's high value. So we like to throw in flight simulation technology everywhere we can for two reasons. One, because it costs less. And two, because it's Florida. And flying in an airplane in the summer is much less comfortable than flying in a simulator in the summer, for example. Um, but it's it, the tuition cost. So at $112 a credit hour, I mean, you're talking about, you know, <laughs> huge cost reduction, for example, um, just in the terms of, of getting the degree. I have to say, though, the degree itself is a starting point that helps people get out of school. So there are academia uh, members out there who focus on the degree. Like You're going to go through this four-year process so that you can obtain this degree. And we really don't think about it that way. You're going to go through this process. You're going to earn the degree, but we're doing all this so that we can get a job. The outcome is, is, the, is the employment entering the workplace competent, proficient, and capable. And, and on that note, I have to say that that doesn't get done through an educational institution. That gets done through the input of partners. And Rob and I make fun of each other even more than I make fun of you, Carl, which is saying something. <laughs> that is that's, saying something. That's a lot. <laughs> um, but I, I got to say, you know, working with Rob, I've known Rob, what, two years? Three, three years? Too or long. So, too too, too long. <laughs> Every day is a struggle. Um, and I got to say that, you know, what Rob does through ACE is so vitally important to the community. And it's something I think a lot of people around here aren't even aware that it exists, or it's kind of like the, the silent shadow in the background, but it's what all of this is for. The, the funds that come out of this event and the year-round events that go on at Sun and Fun pour money into the Aerospace Center for Excellence. And um, Rob is a master of making things happen. That You know, I ask Rob a question, and Rob just has an immediate answer. And... <laughs> While I think I'm definitely smarter than Rob, I Absolutely would like to. Not. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I, I would love to have Rob's ability to instantaneously problem solve. He's very good at that. Well, but but it's it's not just it's not just Ace. It's not just Sun and Fun. It's the Lakeland Linder Airport, at Central Florida Aerospace Academy. It's our outstanding industry partners, like JetBlue, ExpressJet, to name a few, who are very intimately involved in, in what we do and how we do it so that it's not just a degree. It's an actual valid education that points toward a job, meaningful employment in the field, whether it's flying, fixing airplanes, uh, you know, managing airplanes, whatever it is. And, and Rob, I think of Rob as sort of being the center of that wheel. So there's a lot of spokes that come out of that. But, but ACE, what ACE is and what Rob runs over here is the center of that wheel. And it's the thing that keeps all the other spokes where they're supposed to be. I like to, to consider myself the John Stockton. The job of aviation. <laughs> I'm just dishing out stuff, making everybody else look good. I don't mind it because there's a lot of good things to talk about here. You know, for instance, Eric's program and everything we do year round. None of this could exist. Sun and Fun is, gives us the platform to be able to speak about Ken Cage, Eric Crump's programs, yourself, Sun and Fun Radio, Luke and CFA. Without Sun and Fun and the partnership that exists with Lakeland Linder Airport, we wouldn't have this ability. So we're very thankful for that that comes here. And Eric did mention ACE. So Sun and Fun is the fundraiser for the Aerospace Center for Excellence. So Sun and Fun is 176 acres. ACE is here year-round. It's 25 acres, 14 buildings devoted to year-round educational programming. 
and it's scholarships, $2 million towards educational programming, $400,000 in scholarships. Sun in front of the Aerospace Center for Excellence are the world's leader in producing teenage private pilots. Over 40, well, excuse me, 47 to date. 47. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. And not only that is, you know, as a pilot, you know, we all tend to love ourselves a lot. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> oh, a, yeah. sm- a smart pilot knows that that plane can't get in there without a good mechanic, a good engineer, good airport operations professional. For instance, one of Eric's students also works for me at the museum, and she's at, working in airport operations. She's phenomenal at it. I mean, the FAR she quotes off to me, I'm just like, I believe you. Okay. I taught her that. <laughs> I taught her that. I, I accomplished something I, with I my life. We can but mention our, her name, by the way. Carissa Strick. Carissa, yeah, she's awesome. Carissa is fa- fantastic. And then our uh, airframe and power plant program with Travis Career Center, we have our first A&P program went through, and they took all their practical tests. Now, an A&P means you can work on more than just airplanes. Disney, Busch Gardens, NASCAR crews all look for A&P professionals. And recently I went out to this conference to the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Yeah, I can only say it once. They barely let me through the door. Thank God they didn't make me take a test. But you're out there and they're like, there is a drastic need for American engineers. Our jobs are being taken overseas and there's no American engineers to take it. So we've found a solution to that problem. We're helping with the pilot problem. We're helping with the mechanic problem. We developed our first UAV drone engineering club here at our high school. And in addition, Lockheed Martin, Society of Automotive Engineers, saw what we're doing. They brought their competition here to us. 700 future engineers from 10 countries, 70 colleges, coming to the Aerospace Center for Excellence campus. So they're going to be back in in 2017 and 2018. They already signed up for it. Yeah, Rob, you bring up a good point as far as all these programs that you have. How in the world do you get your funding? Well, Sun and Fund the Event. Sun and Fund the Event is the major fundraiser. For the Aerospace Center for Excellence. So as you walk through, you look at the poster, it says proceeds benefit the Aerospace Center for Excellence. That's what you're supporting. Young men and women, a person like Luke Liptak here getting ready to go on to his flight scholarship, those, that's who you're supporting. And people on the outside that are listening right now, because I've been inspiring people on the outside to listen, 1510 a.m., live SNF. I had a conversation at one of the hotels with folks that know nothing about Sun and Fun Radio, and they said to me, you know, it's pretty, it's expensive for a ticket to get in here. And uh, it's just for the air show and some hot dogs? I said, no. You are promoting the future of aviation through all the programs that Sun and Fun supports through the Aerospace Center for Excellence and everything else they do all year long, like you said. And that's a very important point, is that you should come to this show and try to give throughout the year and come to the events all year long so they can fund Aerospace Center for Excellence all the other programs is Central Florida Aerospace Academy. That's right. And one of the best talks I had about, oh, what's a pilot make a difference? Eric gave a fantastic talk at a conference we were at about how it's much more than transporting people. It's transporting organs. I mean, you and I, we've had organs on before. Yes, we we're sitting there they're transporting hearts and eyes. Eyes. I mean, yeah. how do they get there? How do you get grandma to go see her grandson? I mean, without those, those connections couldn't happen. Mail couldn't happen. I mean... The talk Eric gave about that really was eye-opening on how, what we need and how there was a shortage of pilots and how we're providing a solution to it. Yeah, one of the most satisfying things for me is to see a, a young lady and, or a man walking off the airplane with, a, with their son or daughter hanging on their shoulder asleep and knowing that we made a difference to get them from point A to point B safely <laughs> and didn't wake them up. See, what, Rob <laughs> always woke them up. Yeah, that was the problem. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. <laughs> Two of the t- most terrifying landings I had was one <laughs> when I landed, and the overhead bin popped open and garbage, you know, the garbage, the garbage. bags fell out. <laughs> you can call it garbage. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Another one right, at, right in front of the, uh, you know, as you walk out of the, uh, the cockpit, the panel popped open, bam, out came <laughs> 
everything. People are screaming. Captain's <laughs> like, you're going to stand out there, and you're taking credit for that one because I don't want any part of that. So I stood out there, and he's taking pictures of me. So, of course, yeah, that's out there. So a few bad ones every now and then. Yeah, but, but it's the, the good ones. You, you always remember the bad ones. So, I'm sure that's you don't all remember. remember. <laughs> that's all there were. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to have to go meet the honor flight. Yes, so. please go do that right now. I know you have to run. Rob Williams. The executive director, Aerospace Center for Excellence. You do a great job here. You inspire a lot of young aviators. You inspire myself and those here at Sun and Fun Radio. How can they find you on the internet real quickly before you leave? www.sun-n-fun.org. Go there, check out. We have our great program of summer camps coming up, which I believe is the best value for a summer camp out there in the United States. So you get up in a flight at the end of it. We have it from ages 7 to 12 and then from 12 to 18. So please come out, check that out. Help us develop the next generation of aerospace professionals. Keep Ken in business. Keep Eric in business. Keep Carl in business. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for what you do, Rob, really. No Appreciate problem. Thanks, much. guys. Appreciate Thank it, you, Rob. Thank you. Much. All right, guys. Take it easy. See you. Take care. You know, actually, we have somebody else joining us this evening, and I think Victoria's online. Victoria there. We, uh, we have her on Skype. I think we've, we've brought Victoria in. Yeah. yeah, hey. Hey, Victoria. Hey. Victoria. Hey. It's awesome wow. to have you. Yeah. Sorry about some of the technical issues we've had there. Victoria has been... Uh, out there uh, has had a few changes uh, lately. She's uh, been running around the country and been selling uh, insurance. But uh, importantly, she's been out with Turbo the Flying Dog. And how, how are things going? Uh, very well. Um, Turbo and I just the city of Frederick. So we're downtown now and in the middle of all the action and walking. And I get to walk to work, which is awesome. So we've been having a good time. And all of our plans for flying lately have been foiled due to this darn spring weather. So. Yes, yes. We almost had our plans spoiled here, but then again, it always is sunny here on the deck at Sun and Fun Radio. It is uh, beautiful. They were talking about yeah. uh, thunderstorms, lightning, possible tornadoes. And it's beautiful I, out. I guaranteed lights that it would be sunny right here on the deck at Sun and Fun Radio, which it was. Well, welcome I back. air show. I tell you, I am jealous. Oh, gosh, don't we, we wish you were here. Uh, Victoria's a lot better looking than me, and we probably have a lot more people up here on the deck that would be interested in listening to the, uh, <laughs> the, the aviatrix. And, uh, and one person that I think has truly inspired a lot of female aviators, and that's actually Victoria. If you don't mind, Victoria, while I have you, I want to ask you, you know, what have you done in the past that has inspired aviators, especially women? There's a couple of events that you've helped run. Please tell yeah. us about that. Um, you know, I'm just really inspired by other people I see making a difference. And when I moved to Frederick, um, I, I heard about these events of people making a difference, introducing women to aviation. And in these events, they gave girls free rides, taught them about av- aviation. And for uh, four years, I hosted events that were all record-breaking. I think that um, one day in one day, we flew 317 women on one day. And that was just remarkable seeing, um, the smiles on these girls' faces and seeing that, wait, this is something I could do. You know, this is not just, you know, a thing for boys. And so I've continued that work through, uh, the local 99s chapter I have here and through working with Turbo, uh, through the Turbo, the flying dog series, just letting kids know that this is aviation is an industry that they could become a part of. So if Turbo can do it, you can do it also. And I love that book. I do too. Do you know how many times I, I mean, <laughs> not that my kids don't love that book, but I, I saw it on a shelf the other day in my kid's room and I was like, I'm going to read this again. I just <laughs> I love this book. <laughs> I mean, I love dogs anyway. And I, since I got involved with Stuck Mike, the, my favorite thing is bef- before we start the episodes, 
when Victoria, when you can be on, is getting to talk to Turbo um, and, <laughs> and Turbo talking back to us. That's that's really fun. I love the dog, and I love it's, it's funny how something as simple as a dog who likes to fly in an airplane with you can really make such a huge difference. But I had the same experience with uh, our little boxer puppy when we first got her. She unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago now. But um, when she was little, 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 we used to put her in an airplane and fly around. And she was the same way. She wanted to get up and see what was going on, and she would pretend to fly a little bit, and then she would just lay down and take naps. And so I guess <laughs> I guess it speaks to me. But I, I love your book, Victoria, and, and where you're going with the series and stuff. I, just, I think it's really cool. You'd be surprised how many people greet him at the airport they're like, oh, my God, Turbo. Hi, Turbo. How are you? And then it's, oh, hey, Victoria. <laughs> the sassy redhead, Victoria. Hey, yeah. you know, where, where can they find the book? They can find it, of course, stuckmikeavcast.com. And in the yep. right column, you can pre- click on it. But where else can they find Turbo the it's, Flying Dog? Uh, also at turbotheflyingdog.com. And um, it's on Amazon. And uh, he's actually got a few events coming up um, in the Frederick and Hagerstown uh, area over the next um, few months. In the fall, he's got one in Hagerstown, uh, a fly-in. And then um, we're doing another pause in Plains Day where Santa flies in on an airplane. And kids can meet Santa and get the Santa Claus picture in front of an airplane backdrop. And uh, get to do educational activities and learn all about flying and dog rescue. So uh, he's got a lot of fun things coming up. Awesome, awesome. I know he's inspired uh, me to give out your book. I, I see kids on the flights. I try to give the book as much as possible. Uh, so thanks for doing Aww. that. What's coming up next, by the yeah. way, with Turbo? Any new books um, that we need to know about? Yes, Turbo has book number three in the works. Three. And we're actually going to be doing, um, it's going to be a secret what it's going to be called, but we'll definitely release the um, cover soon for you all to see. And um, if you guys have guesses what you think it'll be about, feel free to take a stab at the dark, but I can't reveal anything just yet. Oh, we'll do that. Oh, can I get a autograph? Oh, yes, you can. It'll be possum. Possum. Thanks. I, I know I know. Turbo's listening. I wish we could have Turbo on now. Turbo would, would love the show today. But uh, you're right. That is so fun when, when Turbo's on in the beginning of the show. Uh, Victoria, I, I hope you can hang around tonight till uh, closing out at 7 o'clock. We're going to start with our topic that we never got to yet. But there's uh, we have one listener mail, and it's really important. We want to talk about uh, something that's that's really inspiring to me to hear somebody that actually went out and discussed this with other pilots and wasn't afraid. And what is that? Well, it's an email from somebody. It's uh, He's talking about discussing our own mishaps. Ooh, our own mishaps. That's hard to do is to talk about your own mistakes. But he writes into us and uh, he says, Hi, folks. Thanks for such an excellent podcast. I admit I'm running a little behind, but enjoy using them to keep my mind in the game, especially during those months where ceilings, winds, daylight keep lower-hour VFR pilots like myself from getting out in central Pennsylvania. My question for you is whether you've ever devoted a podcast to accidents, incidents, or near misses you've had. Well, actually, we really haven't done that. He goes on to describe an incident that he had, that he was landing in a crosswind, and during the landing, he, uh, he, didn't, he made a mistake, and he dented the under, underside of a horizontal stabilizer. He was, he was mortified. He uh, was thinking, oh, they're going to throw me out of the club. There's nobody else that could have ever made a mistake like this. Well, you know what? There were people that have made mistakes like that. And he found that out. He started talking to people. And as a matter of fact, the reception was, was incredibly different than what he realized. People actually came to him and consoled him and said, Oh, I've done that. I've had those issues. I've made mistakes. 
So today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about our own mishaps and, and relate those to others here. And, and for this one main reason is we want people to be able to openly discuss things that have happened to them, especially with your flight instructor, your friends, and realize that you're not alone. You also, we also, and we're professional pilots, flight instructors, people have flown a lot. We have made those mistakes also. I know uh, we'll start off uh, with Eric Crump. Eric is, uh, I know you have to get off the deck here at some point, but I know you I'm had something. i here for the duration. Oh, you man. are? Oh, good. I'm oh, here. Good. I thought you were, you were taking well, off. Well, usually on the I always have something to do on the night that we pick. You picked the perfect night oh, my gosh. because Thursday, I, Thursday is my free night, so I'm going to actually be able to be here for the whole thing. This I feel year. honored. This is the I first feel honored, honored too. Yeah. yeah, this is terrific. So, Eric, have you ever had any type of incident in, in your flying career, whether it was when you began flying or recently? It was funny. When I read this uh, listener email, I had the same response that we all did here when you were reading it aloud. Like, that's such an odd – of course. And it's funny to even word the question that way. Have you ever had anything like – I've had a lot how of many? things. Like, yeah. how, how many do you want? Um, because at the end of the day, um, we all know this. Uh, we've been, we've, we fly. We've, we've coached other people. We've instructed other people. Um, the, the human element is the element. I mean, do airplanes occasionally fail? Do the, yes. I mean, there's always the possibility of mechanical error. But even in that situation, the pilot still has the ability to manage that issue, whatever it is, and turn it into a safe outcome. So that the human piece, that the person who's responsible, that pilot in command for operating the flight, um, if, if you're honest with yourself, which I hope you are, if you're not living in a delusional world, I mean, you've, everybody has faced situations like that. Um, and, you know... I, me personally, I've never dented an airplane before, um, but I've had so many situations where I know for a fact that if the other person had not been in the airplane with me, not only would I have dented the airplane, I would have probably killed myself. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not even a matter of, like, if it's happened. And I, I really i am glad that this guy had the experience that he did um, in this particular instance where the fellow club members were like, hey, listen, like, it's, Chill. I mean... Don't don't go do this again tomorrow or anything. I mean, it's, you don't want to repeat this on purpose by by any means. But but it's it's normal to have things happen. I mean, I've dented cars. I, you know, I've dented a lot of I've dented a lot of things. I've dented myself a lot. I'm really clumsy. Um, but you know, for me, I guess the near miss for me that made the the biggest impression was the third flight on my in my multi engine training, so, and it was February in Tennessee, so it was really really cold. And uh, we were in a Piper Seminole, and we'd gone up, and we had started doing um, engine failures. Okay, so we were doing VMC demos. We were doing, uh, you know, just basically killing engines, bringing engines back. And obviously, when it's cold and you're flying at altitude like that, you're, you're constantly kind of worrying about the, the heating and the cooling of the engine and making sure you don't get into a nasty situation. And um, we were so sort of finishing the lesson coming back. And uh, I believe it was the left engine that we had shut down. We were bringing the left engine back. And we got a partial manifold pressure indication. We got a good RPM indication um, out of the indicator. But the airplane just wasn't flying right. It didn't feel right. It didn't sound right. Um, the vertical speed indicator is still showing a 500 foot per minute descent. I'm like, this just, it's not, something's not computing. Talking to the instructor, the instructor says, well, you know, uh, it looks like we've got partial power. It's like, because it was 18, 19 inches of manifold pressure. I'm like, but. But there's no way, even if it was producing any power at all, we wouldn't be falling out of the sky. Best case, we'd just be maintaining. It's cold. It's not even, we're not even really dealing with density altitude today. And so we're talking about this, trying to troubleshoot the problem, again, while we're descending. And I do the math, and at the rate we're descending, there's no way we're making it back to the airport from where we are. 
And so we're kind of having this discussion. I'm like, I think we need to sh- shut it back down if it's if it's running at all, and we need to feather that propeller again, you know, because we know it'll climb uh, with a feathered propeller. And so we're having this discussion, and actually, it was uh, it was another instructor who was actually on our common traffic frequency who said, "You know, it'll climb if you feather it." And it was something about that for both of us because we were absorbed in the situation, totally task saturated by something that neither one of us had ever experienced in a real scenario. We obviously trained for things like this, but never actually experienced it. And then that that was the the catch, the 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 light switch. And so, oh yeah, we could do that. So we feather the propeller. Lo and behold airplane begins to climb we're able to fly back to the airport and i can say that on my my third uh, lesson as a multi-engine rating student i landed the airplane with the propeller blade sitting still right beside my head and um and that was unique fire truck you know all the students were pressed up against the chain link fence uh waiting to see what happened it was a very uh, easy landing successful outcome and what happened was the throttle manifold actually froze shut um, it, it mm. locked the amount of uh, manifold pressure in the throttle valve and not just not just kind of iced up, but totally froze together. Um, so there was no way at all we were ever going to get that engine back, especially at the uh, air temperature that we were flying in. Um, and so everything worked out okay. But then when you do the Monday, man- Monday morning quarterbacking, there's so many ways that situation could have been improved, ways we could have improved. And I, so I learned so much from that. And I think it made me a much better multi-engine pilot. And ultimately, it just made me much more aware of all the different things, those um, – the situational awareness piece of all the things going on, not just in the airplane, but around the airplane all the time. And that as a good PIC, we've got to be you know, constantly mindful of those things and, and managing them correctly. So, um, I mean, that could have ended in a, in a very, very poor uh, outcome, uh, certainly for us and for the airplane, for that matter. Um, and, you know, you, you take that back to training and you take it back to procedures and why those are so important. So, I, again, but that's just one. I mean, I could, I could count hundreds of them. So I, I hope that everybody who's listening or anybody who's ever been in this situation, like I'm afraid to say something to somebody because I did something wrong. Well, I mean, if you do this for any length of time, you're going to have a list that won't fill, you know, an, a, a five-subject notebook of all the things that you did wrong. The, the key is acknowledging those things and then fixing them. Do you think there's an advantage to be in your environment in the flight school or, say, somebody in an airline that actually does admit those mistakes and has a program that's in place that they I can share? I think so. I mean, our, we have a voluntary safety reporting program. This is not ASRS. This, uh, that obviously, we encourage students to make use of that, too. But we have an internal safety reporting program. It's voluntary. It's anonymous. Um, unless you don't want it to be. So you're perfectly able to put your name in the report if you choose to, or you don't have to. The thing that's amazing to me is the number of identified self-reports mm-hmm. we get. You'd think that everybody would just fill out an anonymous, anonymous report if they fill out anything. But the number of people who will put their name on the report and say, this is what I did, and I think we, and that's the, the other big portion of that report. It's not just a way to say I did something wrong. The end of it is how do you think this could have been prevented or how we could help train people to prevent it in the future. And that feedback is so valuable to us as a, as a college and as a flight school to be able to shape that input we're getting from people who are actually using the curriculum in the field to tell us how we can improve it and strengthen it and prohibit those issues from happening to other people. How about the person in the flight club? What do they do? How do they, what resource to, can they go towards? You know, I've actually been really interested in, in this, the flying club thing as it started to, to morph and to grow and to become what I consider to now be a national phenomenon, really, of people really having this conversation about we need to start a flying club. And I think 
the 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 social component of the flying club where where we're hangar flying where we're mm-hmm. sitting where we're doing group ground school that turns into a conversation about whatever where people can proactively say you know this happened to me once you know and and train against that so it doesn't happen to other people well yeah carl we this is russ <laughs> i haven't said a lot so far but <laughs> i guess now now it's my turn uh, we i'm a member of a club back in oklahoma city that has about 60 members and e- with 60 members, you're always having something happen. I mean, you know, th- this, this, uh, the listener who wrote in, you know, a little ding on, on uh, horizontal stabilizer or whatever. I mean, unfortunately, that, that happens, and it's probably more common than maybe it should be, but it's common. Uh, you know, with, with this, this club I'm in, there's every month we have our meetings, and something always happens. Somebody, you know, a little bit of hanger rash, putting a plane back in or leaving the door open or, or who knows what. And, and we talk about it and we let people know and we disseminate the information. And and it's just something that happens. But if we don't – we need to have experiences. and if, But if we don't learn from them, then, then they're wasted. I, I remember when I was getting my uh, – my complex endorsement back years ago, and it was in an arrow, and we're going around a pattern. Unfortunately, we didn't, nothing, we didn't break anything, <laughs> but uh, we're going around a pattern, and I was kind of busy. I was a little task sad, you know, first day or whatever in a complex airplane, and, and I start coming down, descending down towards the runway, and uh, and we're, we're coming down. We're coming down base, and we're going final, and I'm noticing, wow, I'm a little higher than I usually am. A little faster than I usually am, too. Oh, well, oh, must boy. be, who knows, must be hot or cold or who knows what? Something, right? The engine must be running and making more power. Well, okay, I'll go down. Oh, you know, about 200 feet AGL, my instructor says, how about them gear? <laughs> <laughs> gear down, go down. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'd, I'd been around the pattern a few times by then, but, you know, that lap I'd just forgotten and whatever. But, you know, I never made the mistake again, you know, because now it was ingrained in my in my experience, right? So so I never – I made different mistakes, but I didn't make that mistake again. But it, it was – kind of funny because just a few weeks ago i was giving a complex endorsement to an individual and everything's been fine we've been flying a few hours at that point over a couple flights and and we go into an airport and we're going around a pattern around a pattern and we get on downwind and he starts ascending on his base and he makes a comment i'm a little faster than normal i'm a little higher than normal too well of course you see where that's going (laughs) and and okay it was what's that beeping sound i don't know what that is well anyway let's turn final and (laughs) We get to 200 feet, and why don't you go around? Hmm? Yeah, why don't you go around? So he goes around, does a nice go-around, reaches up there to raise that gear, and oh, oh rats. It's, it's pre-raised. <laughs> but but yes. so, so I guarantee you, though, there's another guy who will never make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah. He will check that gear 75 times on Dowland and, and several more on, on base and final. So so if, if we don't learn from those experiences we and, and pass them on to others, mm-hmm. flight instructor or not, you know, club environment, school environment, whatever, then, then they're wasted. So we need to pass it on like that listener did. The overwhelming theme I see here is that we really learn a lot from our mistakes. I mean, our regulations come from mistakes that people made in the past. Our training programs come from mistakes that we made in the past. And both in our flying lives and even our personal lives, I've learned a lot more from my failures than my successes and mm-hmm. it's really incorpor- important to incorporate that into our flying. It's important to share those. What do you think, Victoria? I think it's important to share them and definitely important to um, discuss the situation. But I don't want – I would encourage people not to be too hard on themselves. I think we as pilots, we're very proud of what we do. 
And so when we do something wrong, we're a little more hard on ourselves than I think the average person would be. Um, when we first talked about this conversation, this um, reader, uh, listener email, I, it made me think of this meme that's going around on Facebook. It's got Kermit the Frog looking out a rainy window, window and he's very sad. And it says, I wonder if my bad landing is still thinking about me. and it made me think about how much we you know we're going to focus on you know what we did wrong and how it was so bad and all those people waiting to take off saw me you know balloon down the runway but you know use that as a learning experience what can i do next time why was my landing bad versus being like Mm -hmm. oh darn all those people saw me do that And it got me thinking of a time I was very embarrassed uh, when I called on the radio um, that I would turn. I was acknowledging whatever the taxi instructions were. But at the same time, I was pulling the airplane back and it was really heavy and I was pulling the yoke back, trying to keep the nose wheel from touching the ground yet. And I went, and little did I know, I still had the mic button pressed down. <laughs> <laughs> and so the whole entire tower and everyone heard, <laughs> and they started laughing. They probably thought Turbo what? was flying. And I was maybe. like, uh, wasn't me. I didn't acknowledge. I was so embarrassed. <clears throat> but it's always, you always think it wor- is worse than it is. And if you can look at it as a learning experience, I think it's a lot better. Um, so you're not Kermit the Frog. You know, it's interesting. You, you said that. If, if you remember, Stuck Mike Avcast, we came mm-hmm. out with the name of this, this uh, podcast. Three months later, there was some uh, famous event by uh, Southwest Airlines <laughs> where they left the, the mic open. And uh, yeah. that was quite embarrassing and quite a learning experience for those individuals. <laughs> we'll, we'll say that, that that's probably reminds me of the one experience that I ever had that stands out to me as the turning point of the big mistake that I made. And it was even worse because basically I went out with one of my friends and uh, we went flying together on an extremely windy day. Uh, I would just gotten my private and I was in the cross country time building phase. So I'd gotten it and I was proficient and I'd been building my skills. So I wasn't completely green, but I was at that just sweet spot where I was very, very confident in my skills, but not quite really honed in on my decision making. And we went out on a day and we had encountered a crosswind and things like that. And my friend had a YouTube channel. So he brought GoPros with him, and we're filming the flight. And Heath was a, a very good pilot, very, a young guy. Um, I believe uh, as a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. Carl, uh, Sam DiBartolo. And we went flying together, and we were just, you know, doing some takeoffs and landings. And I come in for this crosswind approach, and I'm coming in. And I'm coming down, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is, you know, putting a little bit of crosswind correction here, and, you know, this is all right. It's, 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 it's sort of holding the airplane in the right position. And I get a little bit lower, and I'm like, yeah, I'm drifting a little bit, you know, but it's okay. It's still acceptable. I'm still going to continue the approach down a little bit more. Maybe I'll put in a little bit more correction. I'm like, oh, it's keeping going. And it kept going and going and going and going until I'm right towards the edge of the runway, and I'm almost about to touch down. And then Sam is like, you probably should go around. And I slam the throttle. And I, at the very last second when I just realized, oh, man, like th- I made a horrible mistake. I should have gone around eons ago. And mm-hmm. fire it up and go. And meanwhile, this is all being captured on GoPro and posted to YouTube. And I just get to watch all the comment section of your friend probably shouldn't have gone around a million, uh, way earlier or whatever it is. And I was just absolutely mortified that I'm like, it, it was unlike me. It was, you know, overconfidence. And then I watched the YouTube video and, I'm like, and to make, add insult to injury, 
I'm putting in the wrong crosswind correction. No wonder it wasn't working properly. I have the oh, wrong no. aileron in the so entire awful. time. <laughs> and I just felt like such a fool. And, but, you know, the only little saving grace was I learned from that. And now I feel a lot more confident in crosswinds. I learned some things. And then uh, about a month later, I went flying with them again. And we flew it together as a team on an even worse windier day. And I nailed it every single time. So awesome. there's a happy ending to the story, but man, did it feel horrible. <laughs> and, and not only that, it was live. Yeah. And, and so your mistake is not only your own, but it's shared with the world. Yes. So that must have been, <laughs> must have been mortified with that one. Well, fortunately, Darn I, that I, evidence. I had another very embarrassing situation, but it wasn't recorded on any uh, on anything other. I guess at ATC yeah. tapes or whatever. But but it was with a couple of members, you know, non pilots, you know, non pilot public. I was on an Angel flight. This was on a Piper aircraft, and and I had to uh, the I guess the the patient and her mother. I think it was. So it was an Angel flight, right? And and we're flying along, and it was maybe an, I don't know a two hour leg or something, and over the middle of the forest somewhere in Virginia, and the engine kind of sputters out and dies on me. Bummer. That's I'm on an IFR flight plan. You know, we're, we're, VFR, we're visual, so everything's clear day. But well, what do I do? Immediately start, okay, I, I got my you know, best glide. I got my landing spot in sight. I start circling. I make the mayday call. You know, meanwhile, I'm trying to tell them, hey, don't worry. I mean, well, don't worry. We're going to land in the, the woods. You know, they, this, might, <laughs> this might have been their first time in a small airplane, too. And so I'm getting on the radio with ATC. They're asking me, you know, souls on board, you know, very reassuring you know, comments for them, right, and getting all the information. And we do a couple laps around them. And we had descended a few thousand feet by this time, and I'm maybe 2,000 feet above the ground. And I'm, I'm still trying to kind of troubleshoot, and I look over and, Okay, anybody, what do you think I forgot to do? Forgot to switch move fuel. fuel. Switch yeah. the fuel tanks. Absolutely right. Yeah, number one cause of end of starvation in a, any low-wing aircraft, right? Forgetting right. to switch the fuel tanks. Absolutely. Switch it. We'll kind of reach over there real, real coolly, you know, with my hand and kind of switch that. And, you know, 15 Boom. seconds later, room comes up. Oh, yeah, that, well, you know, let's just proceed on our destination now. Everything's fine. You know, and trying to convince them that, Check no, this works. Yeah, don't worry. We're, we this is gonna, completely we're normal. We're still going to fly in our 30 minutes, but, yeah, this is completely normal. Don't <laughs> worry. Everything's all everything's the time. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Really, all the time. And, and then, then I don't know how this really works in the process, but calling ATC back and canceling your emergency. Canceling your emergency. <laughs> I've never heard we, that we, before. Uh, I want to wow. cancel our mayday. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, try to mumble. Use pilot breath, voice. You just kind of mumble. like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> but but I, I tell you what, ever since then, I am. I mean, I, I maintain a notebook when switch, what time I'm switching tanks and exactly mm-hmm. how much fuels in each one. And I teach my students the exact same thing. And I can tell them why. Because <laughs> now I have a real example. Well, Larry, I think you had a pretty good example of something, a little small mishap that you had. Yeah, well, I've, I, I, as we were talking about this, I've been thinking about several. So I'll, I'll uh, sign up with uh, Eric talking about there's probably more more events than, than we have time for. But um, one that comes to mind was uh, probably 20 years ago or so. I was down in Arkansas where I lived and shooting the uh, VOR Alpha DME Arc Approach into Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Easy Kilo, to say. Kilo Sierra Lima Golf, if you want to look it up. And uh, it had been a long day. It was it was pretty heavy IFR out and back kind of a flight, personal flight for me, several states away. I was tired. I was um, 
Now, now we have Russ looking it up, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's just my thing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That'll, that'll keep him busy. You for gave a while. him permission. Later. I did. I did. So, um, but I was coming back, shooting the arc. You know, you're coming around the arc, and you turn on the the Alpine leg finally. And uh, this was in a Balanca Super Viking that we had back then. So it was a faster airplane than I had had a lot of. You know, most of my time wasn't in that anyway. That's the one. That's the one. And. Uh, uh, on the way out through that turn from the arc onto the outbound leg, I got the worst case of vertigo I ever had experienced in actual, you know, IFR flight. And it was one of those cases where you just said, I know what's happening. I really, really want to turn. I'm really, really going to believe the instruments, but I got really, really behind the airplane. And so the rest of the approach, and it was down to minimums. Yeah, the rest of the approach was just a mess. Um, and I should have gone around. I should have shot the mist. And, you know, I ended up popping out and I landed okay. And it all turned out well. But, you know, again, it kind of, kind of comes back to that decision making that you were talking about uh, earlier, Derek, that, you know, there's, there's a point that you should say, I'm done and I'm going to go around. But it was a long day. I was tired. The vertigo was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And all that stuff piled up. And, um, and I didn't make that decision when I should have. And it's really easy to think about, you know, oh, yeah, be Monday morning quarterback out on the ground when you're calm mm-hmm. and you're not in that moment. And, and that, was, that was really what clicked with me there is there's a difference between talking about going around and talking about making the right decision and then when it actually happens. Because whenever it actually happens, there's a lot of other factors going on that are trying to encourage you to keep going, keep landing. Yeah. Oh, it's happened before. A lot of rationalization, a lot of compensation. It, it's really difficult in the moment, and you have to really be uh, aware of that. And and these mistakes that we make, they're, they're not ones that are made sometimes by new students. It's by us. It's by seasoned pilots, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, and the, we learn from these things. That's one of the points I want to make. These aren't aren't really you know hangar flying, and, and we're not sitting here doing horror stories. But we want people to know that this can happen, and and that we we share like we've done in this forum right here. And we're able to, to move forward and learn something from that. I think that's incredibly important. We do have time for, for another story, and I, I kind of wanted to, to relate this one uh, about my last Sun and Fun, uh, the only time I ever flew in Sun and Fun. And uh, so I went out with a friend of mine in a uh, Stearman, and uh, we weren't inexperienced. Between the two of us, we had about 30,000 hours and uh, two flight instructors, and um, we uh, went out VFR. So what could go wrong, right? We both are from the area, and we've flown in the Tampa Bay area for 20, 30 years. So we go out to the south of, of Sun and Fun. We're doing, he's letting me do some wingovers in the Stearman, and we're having a blast. And finally, we're like, hey, you know what? We better get back because that Tampa skyline, it's disappeared. And uh, you know what? I don't know where the airport is now. So we, we start turning around, and I get this. This is two airline pilots, flight instructors, over 30,000 hours, and we can't find Lakeland Airport, and we are just 25 miles south. So I look at him, and I say, listen, bud, uh, we'll just head north, but could you uh, pull it up on the FMS or the GPS, whatever you've got? And he said, man, this is a steerman, brother. <laughs> we don't have any of this, but I do have a cell phone, so let me turn that thing on right now. So you wouldn't believe as he pulled up his app. 
you know, we're low, we're low and slow. Now we, and I said to him, I said, listen, man, are we recording this? He said, yeah, but there, there's no audio. I said, good. You know how embarrassing that would be if we had a land in the field <laughs> south of Sunday? And, 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 and then they, they look at us and say, hey, there's a two airline pilots, flight instructors, 30, over 30,000 hours landing in a field. That is quite embarrassing. What I learned in their from home the, flying community. In their home, their home, home, area, home <laughs> airport. And this is a, somebody that flies all the time. I did, the, the one credit that I took is that I did see downtown Tampa, and I knew if I flew north, they had this big road, I-4, and if I got up to I-4, I could hang a left probably or right and find an airport somewhere. So that was our experience there. And it, it was a very humbling experience. It was uh, it's odd because for someone like myself who never, ever feels lost at any time, for many, many years, I suddenly felt lost. And here I am in an area that I've been flying for years, in decades. A fa- in a fast turbojet, in, not lost, in, not behind the airplane, but in a no. slow steering, yeah, <laughs> chilling. Exactly. I'm it's used to flying 500 happens. miles an hour, and here I am in a, in a steering going low and slow, and uh, and got me nervous. So wow. it, the environments, uh, it, it's whatever you're used to, but it's also uh, it's important to admit to yourself what the operation is, and, and go there humbly and say, hey, listen, you know, do we have everything we need? And uh, yes, we can make mistakes in any of these situations. So, moving forward with that story, uh, Tom, I know you had one you wanted to bring up as far as a story. I think, uh, and and then we can move on to to closing out with the show. Yeah, and mine mine was more of the uh, you know the green pilot story. You know, I mean, uh, right after I soloed, and um, I actually uh, I dented an aircraft and and came in. I was I was out training. It was like my second flight after I had soloed, and uh, I, I took an aircraft out and was practicing the maneuvers that I'd been taught over a practice area, and came back into an airport and came back into a very busy pattern. And um, came in and same thing, you know, I just wasn't experienced enough to know that I was too fast. And, you know, and for some reason in my mind at the time, like you said, you Monday morning quarterback this thing. Um, you know, I was definitely, uh, I like the term test saturated, you know, yes. and that was going on for, for a brand new pilot. You know, the first couple of times I'd ever soloed and then coming into a, um, a runway and I had it in my mind that I had to get off of that runway. There was another taxiway beyond where I turned off, but I turned off on one a little bit on the hot side and um, ended up uh, clipping a fence. Oops. And it did. It hit, it hit the plane hard enough to, to cause some damage to it. It wasn't extensive. The plane's still flying today, but it, it, um, it was definitely the first words that were out of my mouth the, the day that that happened was, that's it, I'm done. There's nobody ever going to let me fly an airplane ever again, ever touch one ever again. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that right then and there, my flying career is done. And um, it was very humbling, very scary. And um, it took me a long time after that, you know. And, and what happened was is I have lots of friends that are pilots. And um, resoundingly, every one of them said, no, you got to get back on that horse. And immediately, don't, don't piddle around anymore. Get out there and get back on this. And it was, it was a friend of mine who's done a uh, military career with helicopters. Um, he was flying Blackhawks. And he told me, the story he told me was that some of the best pilots he had met through his military career were people that had made mistakes. It made them better pilots. He just says, as a matter of fact, all of the ones that were higher-end officers were ones that had caused literally millions of dollars of damage to, to aircraft, but these were the better pilots because they were the ones that were going to pay attention. And I don't know why that made sense to me, but it did. And I did get back on the horse and, and um, you know, flying professionally now. So it, 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 um, it, it definitely served. And I liked all the, everything that everybody shared here because it is the truth. You know, it, it, it really woke me up and made me pay attention to what I was doing and, and made me want to learn that much more, you know, because as scary as it was, it was very humbling too. you know, um, an aircraft is a P-51 
piece of machinery that, you know, I didn't want to mess around with. You know, you don't just get in, put turn a key and go like you do in a car. And we all know that, you know. So, and uh, that, that's what made the difference for me. And, and it was good, good, good learning experience. You know, thanks for sharing that. And also, everybody here, thanks for sharing your stories because uh, I think it makes people realize that, you know, we're all the same. You know, we all make mistakes. And it's important to, to admit those and, and to share that type of a story where uh, we do feel mortified. But remember, if something does happen, you know, we've all been through it. And, and, and we'll move forward. So, yeah, have we ever, ever made a mistake? Sure. Sure, but uh, we, we've moved forward with those mistakes. And, uh, and if, you ever, if you're a 100-hour pilot, uh, if you're a thousand-hour pilot and you do make a mistake, just remember that uh, we've all been there. We've all we've all made those mistakes, and and we're here. We're here. We're happy, and we've learned from those. So, well, that was it for that topic. I do want to move on to something really important, and uh, that's actually inspiring our future aviators. Uh, we the underwriter for this podcast for Stuck Mike Avcast actually is is another podcast I really haven't talked about much at the show here today. It's called Aviation Careers Podcast, and uh, and that's a show that actually I've had a, a couple of you on the show, but it is also co-hosted by some some really interesting people. One of them is Eric Crump, and again, thanks for being here. And Tom Wachowski and uh, Tom Frick is actually he's helped out quite a bit with the podcast and with editing, etc. And uh, we've we've asked a lot of questions from listeners and we get a lot of questions from listeners uh, mainly about flying but but the the thing is we're at sun and fun and we're inspiring our future aviators here right and that's the neat thing we're seeing a demographic change here we're seeing younger people that are coming out to sun and fun and are wanting to go fly and wanting to be part of this aviation community whether they want to be a mechanic whether they want to be a flight instructor an airline pilot it's it's the one thing that's common amongst all of us is we have this love of aviation and what we do at aviation careers podcast is we relate to you those different jobs it's free and we we have these podcasts that are free and we talk to people and we and we find out what it is they do for a living we talk to people that are aerobatic pilots we've talked to people that do you know, any type of aerial application. We have people that are airline pilots, and that's the most of the questions we get, of course, 80%. But there's something else that we do. We do a lot of career coaching and uh, help people move forward in their career. We have a, actually a growing number of coaches that are involved there at Aviation Careers Podcast. And uh, we also do the career counseling and interview preparation. Something that a lot of people don't realize is that you don't want to just go in front of the mirror and just talk to your mom, your dad, your family members, because they may not be quite so honest with you. We do a social media review. We go out and we look at your websites. We look at your Facebook page. We make suggestions as to what you should and should not post. You know, you playing beer pong at the local frat party, we may want to pull those pictures off off the internet or maybe we shouldn't even put those out there maybe in the we should first consider not posting those <laughs> yeah. Place. yeah some of you should step away even from the table of facebook maybe we shouldn't be putting anything out there so we'll do that for you and most importantly and the one thing that we're the proudest of is our scholarships guide and i will say that woo, well, woo. i've uh, eric crump has has been instrumental in inspiring me to go forward with this Remember, I think it was about three years ago, I said to Eric, I said, you know, I get a lot of listeners calling in and say, this is expensive, and I can't really afford to do this. Well, AOPA stepped to the, to the bat, and they've said, okay, we're going to make this less expensive. We're going to have clubs. We're going to teach people how they can go and in, get involved in those clubs and the We Can Fly program, the Rusty Pilots program. But what we've done is we've put a resource together of scholarships and why are we doing this because anybody can go online and they can search for scholarships right eric i mean you can just go on there and take a look you can and and i tried and um and <laughs> it's really really 
really hard to do. It's hard to find good information. It's hard to find up-to-date and valid information. Where a scholarship mm-hmm. may have been available at one point, you go through all this trouble of meeting the requirements, you mail in the packet, you never hear back, you call the phone number, it's like, oh, we haven't offered that scholarship in five years. Well, it's still on your website, yes. and I just spent a lot of time writing an essay. Um, and so when we first talked about this, I remember when I, when I was going to college, I was going out of state, um, and I was looking at flight training expenses. And thankfully, my parents have always been incredibly supportive of my desire to want to learn to fly when I was at home. I started flying when I was 13, sold on my 16th mm-hmm. birthday, the whole story. And that's all just by virtue of the fact that I have really, really supportive family members. And going to college was going to be really, really expensive. Flight training was included. I had to pay to live there. Um, and I worked really hard during my time in college. My parents pitched in a lot, too. Um, and I don't know how many scholarships I applied for. It was more than 10 I, I, that I could find from the InfoQuest database at the high school library because that was the only thing I had, right? So I applied. I got two of them. Uh, one was just a $1,000 flat rate scholarship from an organization my parents remember of, which we didn't even know they had a scholarship <laughs> until the executive director was like, hey, you know, Eric's going to college this year. Did you guys know we had a scholarship program? They were like, no, we had no idea. <laughs> and so, and again, it's, those things do exist, and they're everywhere, but I didn't know. So when you came to me with this idea, I was like, oh, my goodness, please, please put out a database so that people can search this thing and find things that are specific to where they live, their age, what kind of training they're going after. Some of these scholarships are tuition at college. Some of them are uh, certificate scholarships. Some of them are books and supplies. Some of, but the whole key, and I, the thing I advise our college, you, you ha, you'd have to stack these scholarships together. And you should be applying for multiple scholarships. I think one of the great strengths in your guide, Carl, is that you emphasize the things people really need to consider when applying for the scholarship. So, for example, if you're applying for a scholarship named for a specific aviator who contributed a certain something to aviation, obviously your essay or your interview should be slanted toward the purpose of that scholarship, which I guess maybe seems kind of commonsensical, but but it's not for a lot of people. And I think one of the great strengths of your guide is that it not only informs people the opportunity exists, but it tells you how to go about increasing your chance of getting that scholarship, which is huge. Well, thanks, Eric. And, uh, and by the way, the, the people that have put that scholarships guide together, because it's not just me. I'm just the one person that came up with the idea. We have a whole team of people now that are placing those scholarships out there. They're the ones that do that research. We're one of the, we are the only guide I know of that actually goes out there and verifies every scholarship every year and republishes them. The other important thing about our guide is many of these folks that have scholarships, and they're wonderful people, we, we love the fact that they go out there and offer these monies, but they don't put them on their website all year. So here's somebody that wants a scholarship, and they're looking for it in July. Well, August is when the scholarship opens. A lot of times it's not on their website, but it's in our scholarships guide, and it's very cheap. It's only $10 if you get it on Amazon. You also, through our membership service, you can get it for $10 one-month membership. You can download the guide and also have all of the different software and different uh, consulting uh, apparatus available to you. And we have, uh, we have many, many different services. But getting back to this guide, one thing that I discovered when I started doing this, and we talked about mishaps and stuff like that, is it was a lot tougher than I thought. I mean, I, I remember I said, you know, how hard could this be? I'm just going to put a database together of scholarships. This, this has got to be easy. Well, it wasn't. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I realized when I went out there searching 
and uh, found these scholarships. And not just scholarships. We do other grants now. We've branched off into other things. We do all aerospace, not just flying. Engineers, if you want to become a mechanic, we can do that. We're branching into other countries. We're also branching into, into schools. We're going to the different colleges and, and listing them in there. So if you're considering a college to go to, we'll They may have scholarships. institutional scholarships that you exactly, should consider also. Exactly, exactly. And that's very, very important. Uh, one of the things that, that I didn't realize is the amount of money that's out there. You know, we stopped, uh, Eric, I think you asked me, how much do we have in the scholarships guide? Well, we stopped counting at $2 million and and just to give you some color as to what that $2 million is, only four of the people that sponsor scholarships within the guide are that $2 million. And, and think about that. We have over 100 different people in the guide right now. So, Carl, speaking of scholarships, you would uh, get a kick out of this story. At the flight school I currently work at, there is a customer that comes in, uh, and he is currently working on his commercial license. And to date, from his first flight all the way up, he paid for an introductory flight, and ever since then, he's not laid out a dime wow. to get his licenses and ratings. He's done it all by just by scholarships. Now, it's taken him a lot longer. It's had its own unique set of challenges, but this individual actually, f- by, through a lot of hard work, applied for these scholarships and was able to finance his training. So if you're listening out there and your dream is to fly, but finances is what's stopping you, it's definitely possible with a little bit of homework and research. And databases like that will just make it easier. And this person, I like what you said, scholarships. They didn't just apply to one. They applied to multiple and exactly. added them together mm-hmm. and haven't paid a dime. Haven't paid a dime. We have scholarships that add up to $65,000, not only available to young folks, but also people are middle age and people that want to get a type rating, say in a 737. 747, we're working on one of those right now. Ooh. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Victoria, she actually offered a scholarship through her insurance company. Victoria, what was, what was the name of that scholarship one more time? It's called the uh, Get Into the Air Scholarship, and it's $500 towards any phase of flight training, any type of pilot. There's really no limits on it. It's just prove your passion through your essay. And one thing I'd want to say about the scholarships is, in fact, yes, there is so much money out there, and you'd be surprised at how little people apply. People are not applying to all the scholarships that are available. And you know what? You can't get free money for flight training if you don't try. You have to put an effort forward. So definitely, I'm, I've won a scholarship. I know how much it helped me. I know there's many I didn't get that I applied for. But if I didn't apply for it, I wasn't going to get anything anyway. So really no harm done. So, yeah, it's really great that you put together all in one spot because I know from experience it's hard to find current ones. And there's so many back from so it's good that someone's out there watching out for you making sure that these are accurate and current well thanks uh victoria it's interesting you you told that story that leads into the my one last story about scholarships i was in a small airport in pennsylvania and and, uh, the one i actually started flying out of and there was a lady that ran the flight school and said you know we have a scholarship but only three people applied for this scholarship it was fairly significant. And uh, she said, you know, I don't know why. And I said, well, where do you advertise? She says, well, we didn't really advertise. And that's what we do. We advertise mm-hmm. for you. If you put it in our guide, it's going to get out there. It's all over the Internet. And people are going to find this scholarship. So if you want to give money to somebody and you want to give it to somebody to learn to fly, to become a mechanic, we will work with you also. We don't do scholarships ourselves. 
Well, we have a huge directory of people. We can help you find an organization that can actually get the money to the individuals. We'll help you even design your own scholarship and start your own scholarship. And, and it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's, it's a little bit of work. But you know what? There's organizations out there that if you don't want hands-on at all, they will make scholarships in your name. Some of them are called EAA, AOPA. They actually, they're huge organizations that mm-hmm. will put these together for you. So I really, I encourage you, if you know of a scholarship and it's not in our directory, please send us an email. And, uh, and, and you can find that at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Aerospacescholarships.com is also another way to find that. And uh, I know that it's, it's been helping people. It's one of the projects uh, that's been near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it's one of the things that, that I've, I've felt is the biggest way I've been able to contribute to uh, the aviation community so far financially. That's for And my sure. students love it. And the, yeah. They make very good use of it. So <laughs> all of my students appreciate your hard work too, Carl. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You know, guys, we're, we're actually coming to the, uh, to the close of our show. This has gone two hours. Imagine that. We're talking about aviation for two hours. We could go a whole other hour if we really wanted to, but we're not going to because uh, Eric Crump is shaking his head. No, 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 I'm no, no. not. No, this is not a video podcast, and I'm telling you that is totally inaccurate. No, we joke about that every time we record, that if if we weren't actually – and we do have to really watch the clock oh, yeah, to keep yeah, the time yeah. at where we want it to be because we could we'd probably just go into the point where all we'd stop talking and everybody would be asleep. But. Yes, they would. We've had many tangents. Yes, yes, we Good have. Tangents, yes. but we're tangity. We're tangity, and we and we love those, and they and they're all apropos. They they have to do with aviation, and of course, when you get a bunch of pilots in a room, what do they do? They keep talking about aviation. I will say one thing. I, I want a, a couple shout outs. Number two, number one, uh, Russ Rosleski. He actually first year ever at Sun and Fun. He's out there as a Thanks. field reporter, banging it out of the park. I think we're up to. I think it's twenty interviews right now. That oh he's my goodness! Yeah, it, just <laughs> today. First, First day here. First, wow. first he's, time he's gunning for your record, isn't yeah. it, Carl? Bravo, yeah. I keep saying Carl's the only guy that can talk it. for 10 hours in an eight-hour day. I tell you, I'm, I'm working <laughs> on it. It's my first time at Son of Fun. Today was my first day at Son of Fun and my first day volunteering for radio stations as well. And, and uh, yeah, Carl and uh, Dave Shalbet are here to definitely uh, put me to work. I mean, I've been out in the field doing uh, recorded interviews with uh, everybody I can find. I walk down the, the, uh, the exhibits, see something interesting. Do a little interview with So, yeah, it's, been, it's up close to 20. Everything from airplane manufacturers, the equipment, you know, tow dolly people, uh, travel to Cuba people, all kinds of stuff. It's been fantastic. And all these recorded interviews are streaming. Well, they're, they're on the radio station, 15, 10 a.m. here at Son of Fun, but mm-hmm. streaming live over live ATC year-round as well. So liveatc.net slash SNF, and uh, hopefully you can check them out. And most of the, most of the interviews I did are are interesting not just for people who are here at Sun and Fun, but for you know information that is applicable to you know all year round and such. So there's so a lot of people who can't be here for, for just for financial or life reasons or whatever. So you know the opportunity to have access to these interviews is almost like they're able to be here and talk to these people themselves. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a good that, job. That's what I'm looking for. You yeah. get you yeah. get kudos. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely yeah. get kudos. Good job. And, and, you know, it's interesting. We had somebody up here on the deck that said that. It's, it's one of the, the biggest bangs for the buck here at Sun and Fun was Sun and Fun Radio. And things like you do with the field interviews and what we do here on the deck because they get the word out. And they've, got, they've had so many customers come to their booth because of they heard us on, on Sun and Fun Radio. They heard us talk about it. But not just here, but all year long. And they said, next year we're going to do this. We're going to go to Sun and Fun, and we're going to check out their booth. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's really... The, the value proposition there. It's also something that I do during the year. 
is I tune in because I get to, to listen to my, all my friends here on the deck here at Sun and Fun. I get to listen to, to Larry Overstreet over and over and over again. I hear your voice, and, and you're Probably usually sick of me by now. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, the wonderful voice that he has, Russ Roslowski. That's why Carl him. has that, and, uh, that tick now. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that tick in his left eye. <laughs> and, and, you know, with, and Robert Sigliano, a big, uh, uh, he's a heavy lifter here, Robert. He's, he's someone that's, that's out there. He's not out doing the interviews as much as he used to, but now he's out there editing. He does a heck of a job. Rob, you, they stick you in the box. You're up on the deck now. Yeah, I come to Florida. I tell everyone to come down to Florida. And what do I do? I go into a windowless cube to edit <laughs> all the interviews. And, Russ, thank you for making my life very busy. Yeah, I'm here to help, I guess. Once, once, as soon as Carl got onto the deck, I had time on my hands. Now, not so much. So, we, yes. And we're going to bring more people from Absolutely. the Stuck Mike Avcast and, yeah. and into the fold and have them out there doing interviews. So, Robert, you could be doing these all year long. I could be. <laughs> oh, boy. I could be, yes. Well, Robert, thank Everybody you. Everybody has a price. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for what you do. We do appreciate you. If it wasn't for the volunteers, we, we couldn't yeah. do this here at Sun and Fun. So thanks for coming here on with us. Also, And also, also Tom ahead. does the editing as well. It's not just me. It's Tom. It's others. So Well, and that's something I wanted to say, too, is Tom Frick here. We all volunteer, by the way. We're not all paid for this. You guys aren't getting paid. I did mention that before the show that we're not. What? For what? To be here. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Show's I, I over. Thought I, I thought I had mentioned that. Uh oh. <laughs> They're all looking at me like. Yeah, I quit. I'm, I'm <laughs> done. I'll see you guys later. Hang on a minute. <laughs> now Eric's got the twitch. <laughs> see the left eye governor? Tom is somebody who's actually helped Sun and Fun all year long. He, he comes out to Sun and Fun Radio. He makes sure the deck is ready to go. He makes sure uh, that the, the station's up and running. We do things all year, and Tom, you've been involved in those. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you've been involved with here at Sun and Fun. Oh, God. I mean, this deck that we're sitting on, I, I think I've driven most of these screws and dug holes. And, you know, we, we put this together. Dave was uh, good enough to let me help with that project. There was probably, I don't know, 10 of us that were out here digging in this thing and, and uh, extended it. Um, I didn't see what it looked like before. By the time I came out to this, the, the old one was already gone. But it only came, I don't know, maybe 10 feet off of the wall here. And it's, it's a nice expansive Gorgeous place now. now. And, and now it's in the back as well. Um, there are um, pieces on the inside. We do cleaning. We, we, we spruce up. We make sure everything's working. By the time volunteers start showing up, we've already been here. These tents that are over the top of us were put up a few weeks ago. We came out then and just you know went through everything and made sure it was ready to go, made sure that when we got here, we'd be easy to set it up, that equipment works, that um, you know they're, they're starting to um, get interviews put together and, and how the flow is going to go. I mean, you can't say enough about Dave Schalbetter and his, mm-hmm. his um, commitment as a chairman to this, uh, to this group that mm-hmm. takes care of Sun and Fun Radio. I mean, we all know that. I'm He's watching amazing. the heads just yeah. bobbing around here. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think it, for him it's almost like a thankless job. But, you know, I mean, we, we all love him and appreciate him because of what he does for this uh, organization and, and for this particular part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to work for him. That's why I do it. You know, it's like his enthusiasm carries over, and it's just that easy to be part of that. You know, yeah. it, just, it just comes right off, and, and then you meet other people like Larry and Carl and Eric and Derek and all of you guys. You know, it's like everybody has such a passion, not just for flying, but wanting to give back to the community of flying and, and 
put it back in there, and that's all I'm a part of, and that's uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. I thank you. I thank you for shouting out Dave Shalbetter. Dave has done a wonderful job on the deck all year long. He does work. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's not just you know driving nails. It's getting people together. And it's like like he says, it's like herding cats, and and it truly is because throughout the year to get to get this here, this Sun and Fun, this one week show together takes it's a year long effort. It really is. And we thank Dave Shalbetter, and also we thank Eric Crum for all that he does, not just at, uh, at Polk State College, but he also volunteers his time here at Sun and Fun. And, uh, and Derek Lagasse, again, another person that does, does uh, really heavy lifting. We also thank Victoria. Victoria, thanks for joining us this evening. And uh, we hope to have her back next year and hope to do this next year on the Sun and Fun deck. Well, folks, I, I really appreciate you, you coming here. Yes, and in person. We're going to have her come down. That's what we, uh, we definitely, you know, by the way, the, the, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a raise. It'll be a, a double what everybody else is making. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> you're so generous, Carl. <laughs> I mean, just so generous. <laughs> Twice of nothing. Really, right? I'm so jealous that you're all there. So next year, goal. Don't adjust your monthly budget based on that promise, yes. uh, Victoria. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. Well, folks, uh, from myself, from Larry Overstreet and Russ Wozleski and uh, also Robert Sigliano and Tom Frick and uh, Eric Crump, Derek Lagasse, you know, do something today to, to get inspired and move forward with, with aviation. Go take a look at an airplane. Fly an airplane. Ask somebody something about aviation. That'll start a conversation Well, getting you moving forward towards aviation and your aviation goal and something that, that really will change your life, and it's changed all of our lives, is this thing that we call flying. I really appreciate your listening to us tonight. We'll talk to you next episode. We're going to go back to that live loop that we talked about that are those interviews and all the other shows this evening. Have a great night. Stay flying. been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.